You're listening to episode 189 of the Immortal Comics Pals. (laughs) We will never die. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. Speaking of never dying, Phil did. So, whoa, Jesus! (laughs) He missed the boat on the immortal uh, immortality. He sure did. Yep. Damn. Missed it by that much. I love that you use the boat metaphor because as soon as you, we got immortal, I was thinking of us all in that boat at the end of Lord of the Rings, just gliding off to the immortal land of the elves. And Phil's just hmm. like off on the shore, just like, no! Interesting. <laughs> I was thinking of the 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 fairy on the river Styx. <laughs> it's a little darker, but sure. <laughs> the fairy? Oh. Is it not a guardian or like a dark guardian? No, there's that. So a, you meant uh, like fairy uh, boat, right? Like not. Fairy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, it I'm sounded like, like you said fairy. Fairy. It's your there's accent. F- there's fairy and there's fairy. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> yeah. So one, you know, is a boat, and the other is a magical thing. Magical godmother. Yeah. Fair fairy and fairy. Okay. I'm loving this bit. So. <laughs> Not a bit. <laughs> Actual then it should have stopped 30 seconds ago. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's been a real uneventful week this week. Can't believe totally it. Boring. Nothing's happened. In comics. In comics, in the world, anywhere at all. Uh, so, we have a whole lot of nothing to talk about. Just a little thing. Uh, DC um, <laughs> leaving Diamond. That we're going to be talking about later. Massive news. Uh, and then we're also going to be doing something a little different this week. We actually are going to do basically a book club here on the show. Typically, we do one a month for you guys. And we give you enough lead time that you can you know, read along if you own the book or go pick it up or whatever. And come and hang out with us. Uh, but we wanted to talk about this book ahead of its sequel. And we couldn't fit it in the schedule any other way just because of the way that we work things out. So we're going to be doing a Dark Knight's Metal book club today here on the show. We said, fuck it. We'll do it live. That's one of my favorite things ever. When I'm feeling bad, I just go watch that. Um, <laughs> just like the the amount of that it like clips two like kills me because he's just like fuck it (laughs) (laughs) so good (laughs) for you audio listeners if it clipped you know (laughs) you know we're doing it live so before we continue on with everything i do want to let you guys know where you can find us all over the internet with the comics pals uh not necessarily immortal although we will live on in your hearts and minds well after we've all retired uh, and you can find us on the internet by typing in the Comics Pals on your Google machine or your Bing machine for whatever reason. Ask I like Jeeves. Duck, duck, go. Oh, like duck, Bing. duck, go. There's a deep cut shit. <laughs> Boot up Alta Vista. <laughs> uh, you can also find us on the social media at the Comics Pals. You can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. And, of course, we're on YouTube, where if you're watching us on there right now, we appreciate it very much. Let's all throw our horns up, please. Uh, this is how we're representing 
for the Dark Knights Metal Book Club. So we got our horns hey, up. Marco, you can hey, see hey, that hold on, on Marco, YouTube. you did it wrong. I went like this. You, and then I went like this. And then I went like this. No thumb, though. That's not Yeah, that's horns. not right. That means I love right? you in sign language, right? Does it? Hey, yeah, yeah. That means I love you. That's not metal. That's Whoa, I metal. love you guys. Horns. Horns up. We, we, do, we do love you, but also the horns. Hell yeah. No, I don't love you. <laughs> They're both metal. <laughs> I'm a little devil. Hee 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 hee. Wow. <laughs> the little mouth really, really makes it seem. It looks like a snail. <laughs> so I'm while you're. Devil. While you're watching us uh, throw our horns up or our love in sign languages, um, make sure that you guys drop us a comment to tell us how ridiculous what Kale was just doing is. Hit that L, that M, and that L and throw them up with us. Right. And uh, that, that, makes a, that makes the horns in, the, in, t- in text. You're really like just going everywhere. And losing me in the process. He's I can't keep up. Today. Yeah. Um, today. <laughs> make sure that you guys subscribe. It's super important and it helps us out a lot. Uh, share the video with your friends as well so they can join in on all the fun. And last but not least, make sure that you guys are joining our Discord server because uh, that's where we have a blast. Uh, that place is, is just wild. Um, and uh, yeah, we would love to have more of you in on it. And for this month, for June, I want to let you guys know that the book club we will be presenting is Kill or Be Killed. Uh, that's Ed Brubaker, Woo! Sean Phillips, Elizabeth Brettweiser, really, really all-star um, creative team that's been at it for a long time. And this is some of their best work yet. So hopefully you guys are interested and you come join us for that. It's going to be a lot of fun. That's the last Tuesday of the month. Whatever that is. It is the twenty the thirtieth. Hey. The 20-30th. <laughs> Keep your eyes out. Oh, it's my birthday. Really? No, your birthday is When no. is it, Marco? Go ahead. July fourth, America Day. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, that's easy to remember. Yeah. That's why I remember. Um <laughs> I like to I like to stick it to people when they don't remember because it's so easy. That's fair. I I understand that. Um, so normally this show is about lots of hijinks, and normally we talk about a lot of fun stuff, what's going on in comics and things like that. But uh, it's impossible to ignore the real world, and we've t- we've had to talk about the real world a lot lately because of what's been happening with the coronavirus and. You know, how that's affected the industry, how it's affected us personally as people. But uh, things have gotten even worse than that somehow. And I know that behind the scenes, we've definitely talked about how things that are happening right now have impacted us. And I don't feel like this show is the kind of show that shies away from talking about real things. Um, because we're real people and a part of what makes this show is us and it's you guys listening and what you're going through, what we're going through. And, you know, I want to have a space for us to share how we're feeling and, and, you know, kind of how we're processing everything with you guys. Um, and I can say for myself that, you know, last week doing the show was probably the hardest time I've ever had doing it. 
because it's hard right now with the police brutality and you know the the death of of black people uh at the hands of police that you know we're witnessing and it feels like it's it feels like it's almost happening more than ever and i know that's not true i know it's just because of social media and the ability for us to watch things happen and for the, the difficulty with which you know now it's so hard to keep things in darkness you know because of everyone basically having a camera in their pocket and unfortunately <laughs> unfortunately those cameras are capturing a lot of things that a lot of us would probably prefer to not see i know for me i haven't seen the video of george floyd's murder and i never will i can't um and so it's really hard it's, it's hard right now things are really tough i know we're all experiencing it and we're all feeling it uh thankfully the four of us have remained safe. The reason why Phil is not here today is because he is actually uh, reporting on the situation, his day job. Uh, you guys know that he works for a news station, news organization. So he's been very busy with that. And, you know, he's doing really good work out there for sure. Um, uh, to, to clarify, he works for the radio. So he's not like out in it, but he is in the like the newsroom for the radio station. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so I just thought I would give a space if you guys want to share how you're feeling and uh, how it's impacting you. You know, this is a, a place for us to talk. I think um, you mentioned how we, we've been talking about it privately this week. And um, <clears throat> something that I know both Cal and I expressed at different times was that it's been really hard to think about anything else, really. Um, and as as much as uh, I was excited to sit down today to be able to do our show because it is something that gives me a sense of normalcy, um, I'm glad that it's been tough for me and many others to... Um, to to think about anything else because that's what I think needs to happen, right? Is that like you should feel uncomfortable and you should – this should be at the forefront of your mind because like it's been something that to your point, Sean, right, has been happening for forever in this country. We have – like that's that's our history is is a history of, of bad race relations, right? And like bad uh, – just just uh, – systemic oppression and suppression of anyone that's not white and that is just fact and we've known that and we've seen these things happen before and we've talked about them and we've you know expressed condolences and all these things but like seeing now with so many people unemployed that like people are able to go out and like you know like raise hell really um is so important because like hopefully it'll actually mean that something changes right that like that it's not just a thing that happens and you're shocked by it and then something else happens and then it happens again in two months and then we all do the same shit and do nothing you know um 
And I know that like I've I've been guilty of that of like um, shouting into the void and and saying how much it bothers me, but not like doing anything about it, you know. And um, and I I am glad that it feels like like this moment and and you know the video of of George Floyd's murder has like. I don't know, like moved people who knew what was happening was wrong to action where they weren't acting before. And I hope that that doesn't stop, you know, um, ever, right? Until we defund the police, until we change things. Because any amount of death, like, is unacceptable. But the amount that is accepted that a man could with the the record that that officer has and I don't even say his fucking name but the record that he had and that he could kneel on a black man's neck to mm. till he died mm. sorry Sean sorry that he could do that and know that there would be no repercussion is like if that doesn't chill you to your very bone I don't I don't know what's wrong with you yeah um i mean it's just a for me the way that i've been been sort of processing it is a consistent frustration that i think sort of come back like an itch it 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 just kind of like returns right and and there's like an uh an anger that's tied into it um however the way that police take people away from each other um i think it gets reflected even in in my own personal experiences with like uh the the fear of having family taken away by like ice raids right or or um i have family who are like daca recipients and and the 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 analogy there isn't isn't exact but it's it's that you're you fear for the life of 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 those people and it's it's just it's just that bundle of emotion and what always frustrates me about it is that it is that itch that you can't scratch right because to what pete laid out there's a lot of steps to get there um and I think right now with the the added visibility and and the support, I think those are all good starting places, but the the work needs to be done. And I think that's what I'm I've just from the way that I've consistently in my life experienced these situations, I feel like that's where it ends up dying out, like that spark. Um as much as we fan the fire now, um, the work does need to be continue to be done beyond this point. And um, I, I took off Monday because, and, and hopefully there are like continued protests because um, I do want to go. Because to your point, Pete, I feel like I haven't done as much. Um, I've been working late hours, and there was a couple, uh, a couple just like down the block for me, uh, protests, and 
they uh, add client calls and, and like I, I had to be responsible to something and, and sometimes it's it's frustrating to be able to knowing the the sort of the economic impact that that sort of takes place takes takes precedent sometimes um i decided to devote like that day uh as well as like this weekend to be able to uh, at the very least help mitigate those own feelings within me because there is there is a level of 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 guilt and, and frustration that comes from not being able to express that publicly and and participate and um and then, uh, of course, just donate if if you can. If if you you aren't able to to go, but you have the means to help in in any way financially, please do. Um, I I recently donated to the homeless uh, black trans women fund. Uh, I'm planning on doing it to the uh, the bails, and yeah, I mean, in in whatever way do what's what you feel is right in in the situation, and and if you can take those necessary steps to continue to help, to be a voice, and uh, just to, to, to push along this this cause. Because, uh, again, I, I, I don't want the itch to come back, you know? And the, the fear and the... And maybe this is just from from years of seeing it is that I knew it well and so help be be part of the help to balance that I think for me and this sort of extends back to this has been going on since the the uh, coronavirus lockdown has been I I haven't been able to right i haven't been able to it it's hard for me to to work it's hard for me to even journal or think much less plan you know i i was i was doing a, a bullet journal i got like a real nice you know uh grid grid matrix thing that i was really excited about using and i was doing really well and now i just look at it and i just i just feel like it's just it's just gone like i i i'm I'm glued to Twitter all day for anything, any amount of news, any just anything. I I I feel like I have to know what's going on and I feel like I I I feel a bit like I'm wasting away, you know, and and I don't I don't know what to do about it, you know? Um because and i think i think i'm also in a unique position at least among the four of us in that you know i'm in a country who handled the coronavirus really well uh and we're coming out of lockdown and everything but there was also a big protest uh yesterday uh a thousand people showed up which was like half the population of luxembourg um (laughs) Um, also happens to cover half of Luxembourg. So, you know, um, uh, but it went really well. And, you know, the police put out a statement. They were like, it's cool. We've got it. Uh, do your social distancing thing. It's chill. We're, we're with you. And that was it. It was a three hour thing and it, it, it was done. 
um, by by all reports that I've read, it was you know it was a good a good effective protest. Um, and just to to you know to juxtapose that with what's happening in the U.S. as well as uh, Britain and the U.K. because I have a, a special connection there, um, it's just baffling that you know all of this is happening and and leadership is just continuing to fail and utterly disappoint every single step of the way <laughs> you know i just like i i i feel like i'm i i keep looking for someone to step up and say enough on anything the coronavirus the you know the 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 police stuff the uh any of it and it's just all it is is exacerbated every step of the way and i've been waking up with uh funnily enough uh real sharp pains in my chest and in my lungs can't breathe <laughs> it's, it's been uh frustrating so yeah yeah it's uh it's a bad time uh for me this is this is it's it's almost painful how common this uh this experience is like more of what Marco was saying, just in terms of you kind of, you kind of used to this, and it's this, this itch, you know, and uh, it's nice to see on some level that more and more people are waking up to what we're dealing with in this country, um, but it's also kind of like, will we still be talking about this? In a couple of weeks, what are we going to really see come out of this? And there's some there's some hope uh, on that front. There have been some things and some conversations that are taking place now that do make me feel like there's a possibility this could uh, really affect change. But, you know, the cynic in me doesn't really believe that. Um, I hope for the best, as always. We'll see. I can say that it's, you know, it's definitely difficult to try and do normal things when there's so much craziness going on. I live in Manhattan and I live uh, fairly close to Dykeman, like close enough. And for those of you who might have seen what was going on over there, um, you know, that's not that far from me. You know, the Bronx is not that far from me. But if I look outside my window, I don't see any of that. So it's almost like, man, I guess I I guess I understand how easy it is to kind of not look things in the face when, you know, there's horror happening all over America. But for you, everything is fine. And I'm reminded of this image that I feel like is is going to is going to stand the test of time. It's this image of a of a protest march going on. And uh, through a camera inside of a building, you can see a family just eating brunch in this restaurant. And like outside through the window, you can see 
the protests and it's that's what's happening in America. That's what's been happening in America. But, you know, uh, I think it's important that we all do find the space and time in our lives while we try to help and and be a part of change to have fun, you know, to do things that bring you joy, to do things that, you know, are enjoyable because it's a long battle. And if you're if you're a minority, if you've, you know, or if you're any person, you don't just have to be minority. If you've been going through it for the long haul, you understand that those breaks are important. Those moments of levity are important. Look at the history of, of black and brown people and how much of it is, is based around music and, and dance and, and, and enjoyable things because the world is tough and we've needed spaces to find, uh, joy and through darkness and that's what this podcast represents for me and so that's why i'm so glad to be here doing this this is a way that i can also give back on some level to hopefully be that spark of joy for you guys that are listening and uh it works symbiotically for me too so uh force yourself to have those hard conversations with your with your you know your loved ones uh, force yourself to have those conversations with your children if you have them, your friends. Uh, if you feel differently than we do, let's talk about it. I think there's room for conversation right now. Um, a lot of you guys that we've interacted with are really cool. Hopefully you guys understand why we feel it's important to do this, to have these conversations. Um, we're not going to be silent. It's just The time for silence is over. That's the worst possible thing you could do. I think. And I understand even why someone would want to do that because it's tough to have these conversations. But if we want a better world than the one we have right now, silence ain't going to cut it. So uh, let's try to do better, be better for each other because we're all we got at the end of the day. Um, you know, there is no there is no Superman. There's only us. So let's try to be that. Let's try to be the hero we need for each other. Let's take a deep breath and let's do what we do. So we do have a lot of show for you guys, as I teased earlier, but we're going to start it with the Pals Pulls. Books are back in stores, uh, thankfully, and uh, we've got books we're excited about. So I'm going to start with Marco, who chose Something is Killing the Children, Volume 1. So this got a lot of good press. And um, and Sean called it out especially. And I know that recently uh, I also read Silver Surfer Black, and that was really good. So uh, and I generally trust your recommendations anyway. So this is probably going to be uh, definitely a pickup for me because Tinian he's great, and I mean it's gotten all the praise in the world. So uh, I'm, I have my eyes on it. As you should, I feel like everybody should give at least the first issue a shot. It's it's it really is a a special book. Uh, I actually chose it as my pals poll because the seventh issue is also coming out, and um, I, I've I've told you guys how much I love this book several times. If it had been a volume in 
when the year ended, it would have been my book of the year. I just felt like with the few issues that were out, it just, I couldn't justify that. But, uh, James Tinian and Werther Deladara have been doing incredible work on this title. Uh, James Tinian just, like, I, I said this the other day or the other day, uh, I think it was last week, but he really has the hot hand and, this book is, I feel like, the best thing he's doing right now. It's just awesome. Really, really, I can't implore you enough to give it a shot. I don't pull it every time because I don't want to say the same things every time. But when I feel like I haven't said it in a little while, I want to. This book is awesome. It's a boom book. And boom is on the rise as well. Give this book an opportunity. I think they're going to make a movie or a TV show out of it, too. I feel like we talked about that. Um, so, yeah. Jump on the bandwagon early. Seven issues in. Jump on. Was that was that new book that we were talking about from him last week? Wasn't that a boom book too? Yeah, Wind. it was called Wind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> That's cool. I guess they've got a pretty good relationship going. He's doing yeah. a second book with them right away. Yeah. I think, I think he has something else with them too. Uh, Tinian is Tinian is 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 doing really good stuff over there for Boom, and it's cool for Boom because. They need hits, you know? Yeah. I mean, like, they have such a good catalog, but I feel like they just, like, they need more. They need more stuff with that level of buzz, with that level of, you know, um, I think, like, critical success so that more eyes get on what they're doing because they do have so many good books. But I think a lot of people, even who like indie stuff, don't necessarily think of them in the same way they think of, like, an image. Mm -hmm. And I feel like they're so close to like being in that echelon you know was it the woods that he did for the woods boom yeah that's yeah, boom too. that was very good cool. yeah yeah okay, yeah i enjoyed that sounds like a good partnership there and then not to mention like we talk it's funny because we talked a lot about tom king's batman and how it kind of just lost momentum and wasn't hot and Tinian's Batman, I feel like Batman hasn't been hotter. It's insane. And I know a lot of that is because of him launching a new character. And anytime a new character comes out, uh, that brings out the speculators. But with Punchline, it feels like he reinvigorated right. the entire line. And people have been waiting on Batman 92 like they waited for their stimulus checks. This is hot. What, what oh, I, that means they're going to get it a month late. Fuck. <laughs> we got it several months late because of the coronavirus. So, yes, you're right. <laughs> and then you'll be like, where's the rest of it? Ah, <laughs> <No. laughs> oh, shit. The debt collectors got mine. <laughs> uh, what I thought was uh, was pretty interesting about that, too, is like seeing how much buzz there is around it. And like we even had that conversation of like, ah, it sucks. It feels like they're giving him the stopgap run and like nobody is going to care about this and like what you know like what's that going to mean and like it feels like he's kind of getting the shaft and then it's just like nope never mind okay great apparently people fucking love it good for him well yeah and thankfully the reactions have been what they've been to Mm -hmm. in, in terms of sales at least but he also has gotten super lucky um We've talked about all the upheaval at DC with Dan Didio being gone. So many of their plans have changed. John Ridley, from all, by all accounts, 
John Ridley, uh, a, a very well-known writer. He wrote uh, the movie 12 Years a Slave, I believe. Uh, he's written comics as well. He was supposed to write the other history of the DC Universe. He was supposed oh, yeah. to yeah. allegedly take over Batman with issue 100, where Tinian's run was going to leave off, and introduce... Um, uh, shoot, uh, was it supposed to be Duke Thomas as Batman? He was going to take over? No, wasn't it wasn't it, Duke, um, it was... Uh, Oh, what the fuck was, was it? Was it uh, the Fox? Lu- uh, Lucius? Luke or, Fox. Uh, Luke, it was going to be Luke Fox. Luke? Yeah. Luke Fox was supposed to take over as Batman. Ridley was going to write it. That was a part of 5G. Now that's not happening. That's right. So right. it looks like Tinian's run might actually be longer than what it was supposed to be. So, I mean, especially, hey. if, it's, especially if it's selling really well and everything. Like, right. why rock the boat? Be like, yeah, fuck it. Go ahead. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Hmm. So... Good for him. Uh, he, like I said, why, why, why change what's working? Especially when you've got big books from him at at DC, and then also big books at Boom. He's setting records at Boom. It, it, he's it's also just paid amazing. his dues, like right. Like I know you and Phil have said how much he's written other Batman stuff, but he's never really gotten a crack at like a longer like run right like a real in-depth yeah. run on one of the main books uh he's had runs on detective um yeah. but you know that's the ancillary batman title this is the main event that he's got now so like give him a shout him. out the big leagues man he's having his moment <laughs> yeah yeah so speaking of the big leagues dc has made a big league decision <sighs> dc comics has dropped Diamond as a distributor completely. (gasps) (laughs) After 25 years. 25 long years. What good years they were. Yeah, they were the best of times. They were the worst of times. (laughs) I mean, up until this last uh, month, you know, it's been been all right. (laughs) Yeah. They've been times. (laughs) So... To quickly catch you up to speed, if you're not listening to every single word that we say or somehow you don't read comic book news on the internet, DC Comics... First of all, how dare you? (laughs) Teamed up... I like you just stopping at it if you somehow have... (laughs) I'm sorry. Just go ahead. (laughs) DC has teamed up with uh, Midtown Comics and DCBS to create new distributors... Now, Lunar and UCS have come out of that. Lunar is DCBS and UCS is Midtown Comics. I know that's confusing. Uh, and they are working at the current moment exclusively with DC Comics to publish DC's books. Alongside that, they have pushed back New Comic Book Day for DC Books to Tuesday so that they could align all of their launches across their book store launches their digital launches so that everything comes out at the same time uh and this is another step towards changing the comics industry around what dc wants to do dc sent out an email to retailers and they sort of explained what they're doing they also put out an faq answering their own questions 
and by their own, I mean DC's own questions that they think people might have regarding this shift. So I'm going to read a little bit of those things for you guys right now. In the email, they said, we recognize that to many of you, this may seem like a momentous decision. However, we can assure you that this change in DC's distribution plans has not been made lightly and follows a long period of thought and consideration. The change of direction is in line with DC's overall strategic vision intended to improve the health of and strengthen the direct market as well as grow the number of fans who read comics worldwide. In the near term, Diamond will only be fulfilling orders through June 1st final order cutoff and will not solicit the sale of new DC titles further. To ensure a smooth transition for retailers, DC will suspend final court order cutoff for June 8th, making those books available to order on final order cutoff on June 15th. So they then had a spokesperson speak to the Hollywood Reporter who broke the story, and that, that person said, after 25 years... DC and Diamond Comic Distributors are ending their long-standing relationship. Moving forward, comic book retailers can obtain their DC books from Penguin Random House or their books and periodicals through Lunar or UCS Comic Book Distributors. DC continues to be committed to providing the direct market with the best in class service and the fans with the world's greatest comic books. Damn. So June 1st final cutoff, what is that? That's like September books maybe? Something right? like that. Yeah, okay. All right, so th- there's still some time to sort of adapt to it. Um, and I think that's going to be interesting. Like, uh, obviously, we're in the middle of the summer of Corona, so who knows what happens in the fall time and what that sort of implications that might have later on. Um, but, like, if if all things sort of stand the way they are now, then... I mean, we'll see how many how many businesses end up sort of transitioning over, especially if a large portion of comic shops are Marvel and DC, let's say, and they don't have this sort of advantage of uh, like a Desert Island Comics or Anyone Comics where they have been sort of shifting things to other other publishers. Um, I don't know. I, I, think, I think the it's interesting that they finally decided to just cut it. I... I I mean, hopefully they do have a long-term strategy in that because otherwise uh, we're going to be reporting on when they start crawling back. Yep. Um, <clears throat> you you call out Anyone Comics, Marco, and I wanted to actually read a tweet from uh, Demetrios, who uh, if you're not familiar with anyone, we actually did a great YouTube video where Sean got to interview him about the shop. Uh, so if you haven't checked that out, head over to our YouTube channel. Um, but I thought I thought he summed up the the conversation really as well as it could be said uh, he said anyone comics is committed to continuing to carry dc comics from ucs midtown comics and other comics from diamond but it has to be said that your bosses are a bunch of assholes for deciding to announce this this week with everything people have on their minds and like i feel like this feels like exactly what we were saying during the coronavirus thing where it's just like man like this is just such a bad look to be like up trying to upend the industry while so many shops are still not even open, um, let alone with like everything else that's going on in the country right now. Like it just it just feels like so um, I don't know, like smarmy, you know, like they're trying to like do it 
like uh, under the the gale of darkness, you know, and then like, oh, by the time it's done, the dust will be settled and everybody will have been so distracted by everything else that was going on that it's just the new status quo and you just get in line or don't carry DC books anymore and see what that does for your store. Yeah, you could. It just feels shitty. You, you could have easily pushed it back like a week or two. Like it, it's not I, unless there's like contracts involved and none of this sort of and like. In, like obviously in spite of everything that's going on you have to sometimes are legally held to that i mean i don't know like but but still there's uh yeah the the timing isn't both timings haven't been good looks Mm-mm. and i feel like if it is a legal thing where you have to do that like you could be honest about that and that would be a better look than this of like hey these were deals that were made before this happened or whatever and like you know our hands are tied. Like yeah. that would at least make you seem like human. Transparency, you know? bro. Yeah, tr- I I believe that that's important because otherwise we make that thought. We have that thought, and there's no there's no response to that. Well, speaking of transparency, I did mention that DC did have the the Q and A that that's they true. did themselves, and I'm gonna read from it now so that there's a little more clarity because <laughs> they did themselves yeah it's just funny. <laughs> i just all these frequently asked questions we are asking ourselves yeah. right now <laughs> uh so the first one is why is dc doing this now dc has been analyzing its direct market distribution for some time long before covid specifically in light of sustained stagnant market growth the timing of the decision to move on from diamond was ultimately dictated by the fact that dc's contract with diamond has expired but incidentally the disruption by covid to the market has required dc to forge ahead with its larger growth strategies that will benefit both the direct market and dc they also answer the question of how do you order your books next week which we already talked about uh they also answer what about books that they ordered through diamond which we already answered uh they answer how you can return books which is important for retailers but not for us uh which distributor should i use we've answered that question before as well again important for retailers not for us um what's interesting about it though to be to be clear is so if you live in the west coast or Canada, you use Lunar. They want you to use Lunar. Uh, Lunar. If you live in the East Coast, they want you to use UCS. If you're outside of North America, you can use whoever. What um, if you're in like like Central or Mountain, like Middle America? Like, is that kind of like depending on wh- like is it split up by coast or is it just like halfway down the country? Or well, something? what well what you do in that instance is you grab a coin and you go to the center of america and you flip the coin and if it lands on the side of america that you live on if it lands on the west side then you go with uh lunar and if it lands on the east then you go with uh ucs that seems fair yeah yeah it, (laughs) it, it makes a lot of sense uh that's confusing for people i don't understand why you have to make a decision based on your geographical location. It's kind of odd. Uh, you can also use any of them. But if you choose UCS, for example, when you live on the West Coast, it might take you longer to get your books, which could be a whole issue. Uh, so that's very strange. Um, Sounds like that could really fuck people who aren't specifically in one of those extremes. Like, what if you have a, a shop in, like, Austin, Texas or something? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> 
well, you pick the worst place because Austin's going to get it. Something like, you know, Roswell, New Mexico. That's going to fuck somebody over. Or Pittsburgh, Kansas. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> They're like, I can't yeah. get my Batman. <laughs> I, I, I have a lot of things on my mind regarding this this decision, and there's there's a lot of information that is not necessarily being uh, talked about by DC. There are a lot of rumors and a lot of speculation. There's also retailers who have opinions about this thing uh, that I think are worth hearing. So we're gonna do that. But I gotta say, I feel like this is a very very bad idea i think this is the worst possible thing they could do at the worst possible time dc is saying they're doing this because the contract expired and you know just the timing of it is is awkward but it is what it is they didn't want to sign a new contract i guess that's all well and good but retailers are struggling more probably than they ever have and you're choosing now to up to do massive upheaval in an industry that really needs stability at the moment. And instead of being a leader in that, they're choosing to essentially turn their back. And it's pretty clear based on reading what retailers have had to say that they feel abandoned by DC Comics. Especially with something that I said before, which is that... It's impossible to ignore the fact that Midtown Comics and DCBS are comic book retailers. They are not distributors. Lunar and UCS are Midtown and DCBS. You cannot misconstrue that fact. It's what it is. And I feel like that, but I don't matter. What matters is that retailers feel like that. They feel like they're now reporting and buying their books from the competition. Now they have to turn their books over, like their 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 num- numerical information, the money they're making, the amount of books they're buying, all that stuff. They're turning that over to competition. And Lunar has come out and talked about, and I believe DCBS or UCS has also come out and talked about the fact that they don't see it that way. But what does it matter how they see it? When the rest of the retail industry feels like that. And they can also say that right now. Because to me, I feel like that's only a huge concern if you're a shop in New York. Right? Like where Midtown actually operates. Because if you're fucking a shop in New Jersey or, you know, Pennsylvania or something. Like you're not – even if you're getting your books from Midtown, Midtown isn't a direct competitor to you because the people who come to your shop are not about to go to New York City and go to Midtown Comics, right? But that's not true, bro, because Midtown and DCB DCBS is not even a physical place. Midtown and yeah, DCBS, they're the direct market website, right? Yeah, yeah. they both yeah. ship worldwide. So what the retailers are arguing isn't about people physically going. It's about the fact that anyone on earth can buy their books from Midtown Comics right now and take business away. Well, the the point I was like ramping up to about specifically the New York shops is that I would be really concerned as a business owner for having uh, what is the biggest chain of comic book stores in the city having my numbers and information too because like – that could influence them making other business decisions of like, oh, wow, this shop does huge numbers. Why don't we open a, a Midtown there? Why don't we buy them out or something mm, like that? Yeah. Like, that is where I was going with that. But I didn't even think about like the worldwide distribution angle of it. I'm thinking of like 
if you're the number two shop in the city and they're, they think you're a little bit too big for their britches, they now know exactly what your fucking bottom line is. And, like, that's fucked. Not to mention, I was on the Midtown Comics website the other day, and what were they doing but running a sale for DC Comics? Mm-hmm. Now, Midtown Comics runs sales very regularly, but because of the way that things have changed, anytime you see that, it's like, well, wait a second. Are they trying to drive business to themselves because they are now the own one of only two retailers who um, are distributors of DC Comics. That looks bad. Yeah, and especially like, and we don't know this. This is totally speculatory, but like, is the cut better for them on DC Comics now because they're involved in that distribution in that way? Does that mean that they maybe give more attention to DC books than like indie books? You know, like those are the kinds of questions we need to ask ourselves. Yeah. Um, do, do we know anything at all about the pricing? Because if if DCBS uh, and Midtown can, to, to that point, leverage the pricing better, potentially get a bigger cut, w- w- could that potentially translate to the stores that they then ship those books out to as well? Like there could be a lower price point, but a larger cut for the- Yeah, higher margin to, on DC books. Yeah, potentially. Um, could happen. Well- we already know the answer to that, and the answer is that their their um, discounts will be the same. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, it it was it was a part of the information that I glossed over in the okay. the the Q and A. Uh, That's potentially interesting. Like, we'd have to see what the like what the reality of that really looks like, but that could be cool in some way. It says, how does this impact my discount structure? Your current discount plateau will remain the same with Lunar and UCS. The discount structure is based on the volume of your purchases. Mm, so Okay. Yeah. All right. So that's not really anything. Uh, Kale, you haven't gotten a word in here yet. What do you think of all this? I was trying to remember and, and, uh, and I was trying to look up uh, an, an article I saw from Newsarama a couple of weeks ago, sort of, sort of just after DC made their announcement a few weeks ago or whatever, and Steve Jeppe, and and I can't find it because the Newsarama website is apparently garbage. I don't know if you guys knew that. Well, what the fuck? They, yeah, got, uh, they actually are now under Games Radar. Yeah, I know. I can't find anything because Games Radar's page is all that comes up. Yeah, well, thanks. They, their whole like ad structure is just like let's shove thirty five ads in one article so you can't read it. It's awful. Might as well be might as well be fucking bleeding cool. Well, what were you working towards? <laughs> so, uh, so from what I can recall, uh, this this article was about Steve Jeppy and and how he uh, envisions comics going forward and. He he oh. said something, and this is gonna this is I'm gonna completely uh, mess this up. But he said something so specific that my response out loud was, "So nothing's gonna change. You're not gonna change anything." It was something to the effect of, "Yeah, comic future is so bright. We're gonna be outshining manga in ten years." And 
I, I wish I could remember what, what he, he said. said it was, it was, I know exactly what he said. What he said was that the comics industry will come back stronger than ever, so strong that it will do it will be one hundred percent better than the market in Japan for manga. Huh. What yeah. a claim. It, it it sounded so insane. A lot of people yeah. mocked him for it. It was ridiculous. And now that this DC thing has happened, it makes me revisit that like it made you revisit that, Kale, because I think he probably had to know that this was coming. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I don't think I don't think if you're DC, you don't make this move with the intention of not cutting ties. Um and I don't know, my overall opinion this whole time has been I don't know, man, fuck Diamond. Like they got a monopoly and needs to be broken up. Like they're not doing a good job. I wonder I wonder what this means now for marvel like obviously i'm not sure where their contract lies where and 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 where they sort of feel that diamond has been supporting them but in light of dc just straight up cutting it um smaller i think pubs might be going that the the same route like what i'm curious to see what the market shifts are going to be um especially in terms of like the the size because the only way you can get it a dc book is via these new distributors does that then mean that actually no well the the, the prices are going to be the discounts are going to be the same damn i don't know there's just there's just a lot that's like fucking up in the air the other thing about this too is that they're also and we talked about this i think even before the the diamond news the uh their shift with uh penguin random house and and the others so the you know not only are the comics shifting in comic stores but the ones in bookstores and things are as well and that's gonna pop up their numbers quite a bit so marco brought up the discounts And I think now is a fair time to get into what retailers think about this, because there's some important information uh, that we don't understand because we're not retailers. And so I'm going to speak on their behalf by reading a few of their quotes. Uh, They spoke with GamesRadar slash Newsarama about this issue, and they spoke to Bleeding Cool, and they're very angry. So uh, here's a, a, a a few of their words. Um, J.C. Glindmeyer from Earthworld Comics in Albany, New York, said it was a nice gut punch after we just reopened our doors for the first time in two months. As most retailers, I'm not going to cut off my nose to spite my face. I'll order for my regulars, the minimum for racks, but I'm not putting any significant resources in their future projects. Ben Ray of Atomic Books in Baltimore said, The timing of this is terrible and shows a blatant disregard for concerns of comic sellers. So I say this as a lifelong DC Comics fan as well as a retailer. Screw you, DC Comics. I wish them every bit as well as Marvel did when they did this back in the 90s. Whoever is calling the shots mm. at DC, if there is anyone, should be sacked immediately. <laughs> if there is anyone. <laughs> now, this, this next one that I'm about to read represents... Uh, a, a problem that I don't think DC considered, and this is what's going to destroy comic book shops. This is from Charlie Harris of Charlie's Comic Books in Arizona. 
Without the DC purchases through mm-hmm. Diamond, my discounts will be less, making my business no longer profitable or viable. Let me explain that. The discount portion Uh, is different for different distributors. When there was only one distributor, you were getting all your books from one distributor. uh, And so the volume of books you were ordering counted towards your discount for that one distributor. But now that DC is no longer a part of Diamond, that shrinks the amount of, of ordering that an individual store is doing. And so their discount threshold will go down, which means oh they're paying more God. for books than they ever have. Dude, that's especially bad if you think about like um, not usually the shops that I've ever frequented. Right. But I think like there are a lot of those shops that are like we are just big two book shops. You know, yeah. and like don't really do indie shit and like imagine all of a sudden the discount that you've depended and built your business around is now cut in half because now you're getting half of those books from Diamond that you were before. Like, fuck, I had I, not I think, thought about that. That's devastating. I think we'll have to wait and see what Diamond says about this because I don't think that's something that can be ignored. Yeah. Yeah. And and. The only way they're in to then supplement some of that volume would have to be to bring in some of those smaller publishers, which if they've built out an audience specifically, like a customer base that's already surrounded themselves with DC and Marvel, that there's there's no saying that just getting more books to get the discount, let's say more image or more boom or more IDW means that those people will necessarily transition to get to reading those books. And you may just be stuck with extra product at the end of the day too. Yeah. I, I have a comment on that as well. So this is from Damn. Uh, this is from Brian Hibbs, who we've referenced many, many times on the show. He said, I don't believe that it will be profitable or practical for most retailers to order low return on investment periodicals from a second distribution source. The extra shipping and handling involved is going to melt profit, while the endless extra yeah. hours trying to enter and massage dot data into point-of-sale systems that were not designed to quickly process mass data dumps from anyone other than Diamond is going to be nothing but waste for thousands of individual storefronts when what they need from their suppliers is nothing but disheartening. I didn't think about that either. Um, that's something I can speak to a little bit uh, through secondhand experience. The uh, He said the um, the POS system, That's a uh, for those who don't know, it's a point of sale system. So that, what a piece of shit. Yes. Um, <laughs> so uh, a point of sale system uh, for any listeners who are, like might be uninitiated, like when you go to like um, like a local restaurant and they've got like an iPad that does all their business kind of stuff on it, like that's a point of sale system. Um, all comic book stores are on one of two, I think. Um, both of which are like very old and very, very, very tied to Diamond. Um, I have a friend who has worked in a few comic book stores and like had to get intimately familiar with it. And it's like a very archaic kind of software. So I didn't even think about the fact that like there's whatever, the, you know, um, Lunar and uh, and what's the other one? Yeah. And uh, and thank you. They are going to have to have their own point of sale systems uh, probably, which will mean now you have to log everything in two separate systems that probably will have very little in common. 
And that would also mean that when you get new employees, you have to train them on two separate systems. Like, ooh, yeah, that's like a lot of – it's a lot of extra work for what used to just be one day of, okay, everything comes in, you log everything, you track everything. Like now you have to do all that work twice. Yeah, we leave we leave this zapper here for the DC books, the rest here for everything else. And you got to be like, oh, oh, fuck, shit. And damn. Yeah. I just want to read a couple of more retailer comments. So this one's from Ryan Seymour of Comic Town in Ohio. He said, my initial reactions were shock and disappointment. Shock because of the next to no notice about this decision to their retail and distribution partners. As of this moment that I am writing, D- Diamond still had DC Comics listed on their FOC due on Monday, which leads me to believe that they're completely blindsided by this. So maybe I was wrong. It might be petty, but I am not thrilled about my two biggest online competitors now profiting off of me. Having to buy books from companies that already had been selling books to guests for nearly half off is not something that sits well with me at all. Business is business, but this feels like a recipe for potential disaster. We now have two companies learning the ropes without any of the infrastructure Diamond has. What happens if one has to close? How quickly will the other be able to pick up the slack? There is a reason that we went from two distributors to just one all those years ago. That was a nightmare, and I do not want to go through that again. My disappointment boils down to, instead of enhancing and giving distribution options, we are forced to work with companies that have been distributing books to shops for less than two months. Whatever issues I have with Diamond, I trust their infrastructure, and it has proven to be successful for decades. Factor in that during the shutdown, they announced two distributors, but tried to hide through omission that they were online giants Midtown and DCBS. It's sketchy. Now, Kale said before, Diamond sucks, they're a monopoly. But retailers are not saying that. So we as fans don't interact with Diamond. Diamond doesn't affect us. We don't buy books from Diamond. We buy books from retailers who buy their books from Diamond. Retailers don't have a problem with Diamond. Not to the degree that they wanted this as the alternative. So DC has effectively annihilated the trust that retailers had in them by forcing them to work not only with new distributors who are not seasoned, but to work with their competition. And again, we talk about Diamond being a monopoly. He just said that it was exponentially harder to work with two distributors as it was one. Marvel did this before and it didn't work. It nearly collapsed the whole industry. Why is this okay? This is crazy. DC will get it. <laughs> I man, I are there are there any quotes in there from anyone overseas that you can tell, Sean? Anyone from like Forbidden oh, Planet? That's a good point. Uh, I haven't seen any. The overseas thing is actually something that um, Bleeding Cool has been talking about. Like what what will happen? Um, but I don't have any quotes from any international retailers in front of me. Ooh, I might, I might try and get a get a scoop this weekend. I'll yeah, that would be great. I would shit. love, I would love to hear some of their thoughts as well. Because obviously, it's like 
we're worried about how people in Texas and Kansas are going to get their books. Like, what What if you're in Germany? You know, like, what, is what, that, what, what does yeah, that mean for you? The, I don't know if you guys remember the when uh, Batman, no, Detective uh, 1000 came out. I was in uh, Cologne, uh, Germany. And I had a big discussion about how Diamond routinely fucks up this guy's order. And he only gets comics once a month. That's insane. So... There is a level of rumor, like I said before, and Bleeding Cool is the best website ever for rumor and gossip as it relates to the industry. And a lot of times they're right. Uh, so I'm going to read some of the stuff that they had to say and, you know, take it with a grain of salt if you want to. That's fine. But this is what they've been kind of talking about um, and what they think they've heard behind the scenes. So... Uh, why is any of this happening at all? The gossip is that Pamela Lifford, president of Warner Brothers Consumer Products, has no love for DC Comics monthly comic books. The belief from some is that they cost too much to make. They take up too much editorial and production time. Everything is rushed to deadline, which means the urgent often trumps the important decisions being made. And they bring in too little money compared to everything else they do. Don't get them wrong. They still make money, just not as much as all that prime Burbank real estate could make. Instead, the gossip is that DC will focus on and rapidly expand their original graphic novels line in the bookstore market, book fairs, libraries, Walmart, and they may keep the Walmart 100-page giant comics. They've already canceled them for the direct market through Diamond, and for easy, cheap serialization, they have digital already. Uh, so that paints a picture that... Um, DC might actually be looking to downsize. Yeah, yeah. With your, the Burbank real estate comment, I was, what the fuck? That's crazy. They're, they're literally yeah. saying, yeah, we can we we could have something in there that's uh, doesn't cost as much, makes us more money, and like, it, it's not important. Well, I what do you? I guess I don't quite understand. Is she, is she saying DC's moving into selling real estate in Burbank? Like what? <laughs> no, no, no. What, what do you no, mean? Because no, they, they're centered I, in in Burbank, and and that yeah, that right. office could be better utilized to a company that actually makes more money. Right, and the the point that I think oh. I think I think the point that's being made there, right, is that like if they were to change DC's business model to being like more similar to just like publishing like books, you know, like you could publish a hell of a lot less. Stop worrying about producing monthly comics, sell that real estate or use it for something else and make more money. And like, yeah, it's that it's sure it's profitable, but it's more trouble than it's worth. Going forward, uh, it's written that graphic novels have a more forgiving time frame than monthly serialized comic books. They are prepared and produced longer in advance. There's less of a rush to production. It's just a more pleasant environment all around. No events, no variants, just comics. Now, this is just gossip right now, but it's from high levels in the industry. Including whatever it is that Diamond does now. What if Diamond decides to no longer distribute to Midtown Comics or DCBS now that they, as UCS and Lunar, are direct competitors and taking away DC product entirely? Why shouldn't Diamond take away their Marvel, Image, Boom, IDW, and Dark Horse? What then? Let's face it, folks. We are deep into the new distributor wars of 2020. Then there's another benefit for DC, no longer having their sales compared to those of Marvel. They are usually second, the <laughs> optics look awful, and I am told that it is always DC Comics calling up Diamond before publicly before public 
immediately sales data is released to get it tweaked. Now there will be no way to compare aside from bookstore sales data, where DC traditionally does stronger. The only direct market chart that measures DC against <laughs> Marvel will be Bleeding Cool's very own bestseller chart. Uh, the last thing I'm going to read from this is about the UK. Uh, Kale asked, I think it was Kale, about international, the international market. Currently, UK stores are being told to use Lunar or UCS for monthly comics. There is a really big problem here. Diamond has Diamond UK, a British hub and warehouse near Manchester Airport that gets comics and other products in and then distributes to stores across the British Isles and Europe. This manages to bring massively... This managed... This manages to massively bring costs of international shipping down to a manageable level. Neither mm. UCS or Lunar have such a hub in Europe and have no plans to make such an option. Instead, UCS and Lunar ship individual packages to individual stores in the UK. The costs of nope. this are pretty insane. One store told me that instead of getting, for example, 50% off cover price on DC Comics titles from Diamond UK, they now have to pay over the cover price when they add shipping, which means that for UK customers, the cost of DC Comics titles are going to have to double. What? While Marvel, That's not Dark happen. Horse, Boom, Image, IDW, and the rest are still distributed by Diamond and everyone else will stay the same. So what comics as a Brit will you choose to buy? Fuck. I mean, yeah, they'll stop reading DC or they'll pirate them Easy. or they'll go yeah. buy them digitally. Damn, wow. that's crazy. Ship, dude, overseas shipping is fucking insane. It's because you pay by weight. Do you know how much? Do you know how much a fucking several boxes of books weigh? Yes, a shitload. Yes, because I've had to ship some stuff to Kale. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> the shipping alone was like seventy bucks yeah. or something. This feels like the most anti-retailer, anti-direct market move ever, and it's amazing how DC is trying to sell this. As it's gonna strengthen the di- the direct market. That that's yeah. crazy. Fuck you! No, it's not. What are you talking about? Well, and and to launch without even thinking about, and I maybe I'm I'm sure they're thinking about it, but like to to launch without having some form of a plan in place to reduce the cost for uh, retailers overseas. That's that's crazy. It's like fuck that market. Fuck that entire market. They'll pay more. It like it, it feels like the level of uh, of hubris that like PlayStation had with the PlayStation Three, where they were like, "Just get a second job. You could buy it. You'll be able to afford it." <laughs> it's like, "What are you fucking kidding me? No, I'm not gonna buy six dollar DC comics. Like, no one's gonna buy them. That's it." To that to that point on uh, looking at like the the share, like obviously it'll be reshuffled, but as of right now, 2019 Marvel had 40 percent. DC had. Uh, twenty nine rounded well, thirty. Get a lot smaller. Yeah, yeah, like rounded to thirty. That's that's seventy percent next to Image, which twenty nineteen had eight percent. Like it's 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 not even. What the fuck? That's actually buck wild. It's interesting to think uh, if we can, if you guys want to just take a walk with me while I put on my conspiracy theory hat for a second. In thinking about this through the context of what Sean said, what if that's what DC wants? Like, what if DC wants to like, or what if that is what some of the powers that be want? Is <gasps> EBS to, was right. No, to, to do this as a way to like <laughs> slow down. 
Yeah, slow down. <laughs> Don't connect my point to that. That was a big leap. <laughs> but no, that, that's what he was saying. Him and like the the comics crowd was that like this is all an elaborate plan to just no to just to uh, dissolve DC comic section. Well, that's not what I'm saying. So hold no. on. <laughs> what what if this is like what the powers that be are doing as a way to prove that restructuring the business model around books rather than singles is like the way to go right like oh we did this because the data showed that this was going to increase our numbers but the the direct market is unreasonable and won't re won't adapt and fuck them and yeah now we're going to pivot and do digital and this and that and do all these other things and i wonder if there are people who are like more removed from the comics of it all that feel that way that think this is how you keep putting out these books and keep making a profit on them while cutting your production costs and your investment costs by astronomical numbers. Damn, that sounds like the drum I've been beating for years. Yep. I I, I think that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> like, I don't understand how you could think that. Like, I'm not saying I think it's a good idea. I was I'm saying no, I, I wonder if I that's what they're doing. Yeah, I wasn't saying it to you. Uh, <laughs> the, the entire industry is saying no. Like, I didn't read a single comment from a single retailer who thought this was a good idea. And it's not because I'm cherry picking. Well, but, and just to play, well, DC's advocate, like, the, you know, they're trying to enter and use, um, use shares from a, a completely different market. One where they perform better. So, like, fuck the comic market like get into the book market but they're still in the the comic book market not if they leave it but they're in it now yeah but yeah but like down the road so they would be annihilating the comic book this, this is ridiculous it's all inter <laughs> it's all i'm not gonna entertain that this is it's all interconnected <laughs> you, you can't you can't just you can't just say if we stop publishing floppies and we only publish graphic novels and we don't publish through uh books uh retailers comic book retailers but we publish through bookstores that the comics industry is going to thrive because all of it serves all of it if dc doesn't exist the rest of the comics industry will suffer in every way and the dominoes will fall. You cannot remove DC from the equation. And by the way, a lot of the people who read DC comics only read floppies. So what are those people going to do once you can't even get to a comic book retailer to buy their books? I don't think they care about the rest of the market. I think they care about DC. But I'm that's what I'm but that's what I'm telling you is that DC themselves will suffer by removing DC from the rest of the market because people oh, yeah. won't follow them. If you don't publish floppies and you're Marvel or DC or Image or Boom or Dark Horse, you're done. And there's every bit of evidence to prove that that is true. People don't want what DC is doing. They're just choosing to do it anyway. And they're basing it off of numbers that only work because of the way the industry is structured right now. Those books, those those graphic novels that people buy from Barnes and Noble were floppies first, and they got made into graphic novels because the floppies sold well. They don't make trades of books that sell like shit. 
how is DC going to know that people want those trades when the floppies didn't exist in the first place? Well, and I think uh, a great a great point to build off of that, Sean, is that I think what that'll probably lead to is a dearth of creativity. Of course. Is that something like, um, I don't know, like a young animal or something like that is far less likely to get a shot in that environment because it's more of a risk. Because you have to commit to a, you know, a certain number of pages to make the graphic novel, whatever, whatever, versus, well, you know, we'll put out the number one and see how it does. And, you know, like, no one in the industry even likes the graphic novel format because you have to produce a certain amount of issues, like Pete just said, to make the graphic novel. And it forces you to do weird things with your storytelling, like cutting the story off at a weird point. We all already know this. Would we even get a book like Immortal Hulk if Marvel only published graphic novels? I got the answer if you're curious. It's no. Yeah. Or or if you did, it would be so different because it wouldn't be a thing that could go on for two or three years, right? It'd be like a book. Well, I'm saying that because Immortal Hulk was a risk. They only published it. At the outset, because they thought that uh, Al Ewing's idea was so good that they wanted to give it a chance. But if they had to publish a graphic novel and front load the cost of making it instead of the one issue to see how it does to get to the next one, we never would have gotten 30 plus issues deep of the fucking book. Come on, man. This is Comics 101. It never would have worked. The... Careful, Marco. This is Comics 101. I know it's Comics 101. I'm, I'm trying to take it to 201. Um, <laughs> if, if, if we change, if it's cheaper to produce on the part of graphic novels to whatever that, that rumor was saying, that it's less involved, it's more manageable, and you can better provide lead time to it from a cost efficiency standpoint then I think it makes sense to make that transition purely from like a, 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 a spend perspective. You're spending less to produce something that has uh, equal or more content to then if you would have had six issues or five issues of something and you're producing the one book. I, the, the, the way that the, the European market works, it works similar to that. It's not the same as the US market, but in the sense of it structures its stories around graphic novels, then I think that there's a test case outside of the U.S. that makes it understandably viable because that's how other markets outside of the U.S. work. To translate that into the U.S. market, I think it's tricky because of the way that people are used to buying their their comics serialized, but I don't think that it's unfounded that it's a cost-effective method to produce a to produce similar pieces of of comics. I think the problem with what you're saying, though, it ties back to the whole um, potential dearth of creativity argument, which is that I think like when you're comparing, because like we know smaller pubs that work on models like that, right? Like we talked to Wave Blue World just last week, Tyler Chintaner. Um, but they're not owned by Disney and Warner Brothers, right? Like where the thing that we were talking about with DC is like, well, DC Comics is profitable, but it's not profitable enough. 
that's how companies like this think, you know? And like when you talk about like to your point, yeah, I think that you can make an argument for um, there's less overhead and there's all these things that you can do that can limit your spend, which can make comics more profitable. But like, are you going to be willing to take risks on books that don't seem like they're like, we know a Batman OGN that's about Batman being a detective is going to sell, right? Great. Okay. We'll make 30 of those. We'll make one of those a year, you know, whatever. Um, are you going to get the immortal hoax, the, the, you know, what have you are like, we talked a few weeks back when the diamond thing broke about how like a book like Scott Pilgrim almost wasn't able to be put in stores because there weren't enough orders on it and stuff like that. I think that that could really exacerbate that problem because it is more of a risk to commit to a full run of a story. I don't know that it's a a, a to, to creativity because let's say we use the example of the the our last book club, uh, Born Again, right? We we noted that there was there was a, a point at which we found it frustrating that they had to come in and sort of upend the story because of editorial because of other things that was going on you had to include whatever a, a book if that had been a self-contained story from a, a creative perspective i think we would have agreed that had it cut off at a certain point and not included certain elements it would have been a a, a better piece of art in that and to the to the perspective of if if it's cheaper to produce the book why why would that not then inherently allow you to take more risk on a book than waiting and seeing how it performs you could what you could do is you could produce a cheaper book depending on the run and it'll allow it to run its course. You won't get the same thing as an Immortal Hulk, but I don't know that and I don't think it's fair to say that you wouldn't get Immortal Hulk. Okay, so first of all, you can't use the Born Again argument because you have no idea why Captain America, Thor, and Iron Man were in that book. And Number two, that actually counters your point because I guarantee you, and I know this from history, that the reason they add characters like that to those books, not necessarily that specific one, but those books in general, is because they happen to sell better when those characters appear. And you wouldn't have any way of guaranteeing a reader, hey, uh, down the road in this series, you're going to get to see these characters too because you haven't been reading the book to begin with, you don't even know what's coming. There's no, you're buying it sight unseen. You can't know, hey, the sales on this are a little bad. Can we throw the Guardians of the Galaxy in it to enhance the sales? Because the sales aren't in yet. And so what you're telling me is that you think it makes more sense to produce the full cost of the paying the writer to do the work, paying the artist, paying the colorist, paying et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all up front, right, to do the work, Produce the graphic novel, put it into the market without knowing if there is a market for it, without knowing if people will buy it, and then what? And now you I spend mean, all this money. What if it doesn't but, sell? But to the point of uh, what we brought up, uh, we interviewed Tyler last week. Like that, that's the entire business model is because it is cheaper to to produce a book that way. And <sighs> regardless of the of the size of of the audience they're in, it, it is a more cost-effective plan, and that's why that business model is made that way that it is. Yeah, but you're compare, you cannot compare a Wave Blue World to Marvel Comics. It's not- I'm not, I'm comparing the business model. No, but it works for them because of who they are. You can't translate business models. A Wave Blue World cannot work how Marvel works. They couldn't 
produce the volume of comics that DC or Marvel produce. It wouldn't be possible. They have to do something different because they have different money to play with. They have different audience expectations to play with. For them, selling X amount of graphic novels is okay because they have less overhead. Tyler Chintana works out of his house and he's the CEO. You're comparing two totally different things. They don't even have a, a place that they work. There's no, there's no building. This and, is completely different. And because it's owned by him who is like actively in the trenches doing the work every day, like he gets to set the metrics for success, right? Like the metric for success is do they just, do he and his wife have enough to pay their mortgage or whatever? Like, are they paying their bills? Like, good. Then the business is profitable enough, right? Like, we're talking about how DC is turning a profit every month and some bean counter can be like, well, it's not enough. Like, we could make a lot more if we sold that office space to some fucking tech startup. I mean, I, I, and I think that if you go down that route, there is a potential to make that make that amount. And if, if it takes the, the volume and power and might of a company like DC to be able to, to prove that out as a test case, I think that that's the chance that they're obviously willing to take. And I, I'm not gonna damn the company for that because I think I think it's it's it makes sense and there's a potential viability there. So let's put the entire rest of the industry at risk on a test. Makes sense. And the, the uh, fucked up thing is that they just don't care. They right? clearly don't. At the end care. of the day, yeah, they care if DC is more profitable. Well, there's the, an acceptable the loss ratio. Yep. That's exactly. all it is, baby. That's well, all that's it thing, is. Right? The the <laughs> exec who sees how much you know uh, they're making on a Batman video game or the Harley Quinn show or something like that versus the effort that goes into a comic. They don't give a fuck about a comic book store. They don't give a fuck about if if the entire industry collapses. Nope. They don't give a fuck at all. Nope. I I I don't care what a small publisher does, and I think it's great when they take chances. But don't tell me that a corporate a corporately run and operated comic book company like DC Comics making a completely anti the entire industry move like this is forward thinking. I don't want to hear that about a corporate company because you wouldn't even say this if we were talking about, uh, you know, movies, movies made by committee uh, at Marvel or DC. And it's the same shit. They're looking at numbers, too. And they're deciding who should be in those movies based on those numbers. It's the exact same thing. I mean, to that point, I was motivated by the numbers when they said they would. It makes more sense to move digitally. Well, I know that you're a numbers guy, but what I'm saying is that you don't like <laughs> movies made by committee, but you like this, and it's the same thing. And in that example, the industry still says no. Exactly. So, <laughs> hey, man, I, people got to say no, but sometimes you just got to trudge forward on 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 a bet mm-hmm. that you think is right. And I think that 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 this bet might be something that is is viable. Well, all we can do is wait and see. Unfortunately, we don't have any other choice. I really, really feel like DC is making a mistake. And I just hope that that mistake doesn't cascade and destroy the rest of the industry. Um, I'm all for growth, but I don't see how this is growth. And here's what I want to see. I want to see DC's base shrink and images like we're the new number two bitch we're coming for you marvel (laughs) well uh diamonds numbers are going to show just that because they won't have dc in them anymore so you'll get your yeah image is about to become number two baby number two (laughs) fuck image give it to boom (laughs) yeah all right i'm good with that they could be number two that's fine they're cool (laughs) 
So let's move on. We we've talked long enough about that, and uh, I'm sure we'll be talking yeah, we about gonna, it a lot more. Well, one hour is good enough, right? Yeah, we are gonna regret that conversation come the end of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. How long we've we been talking about Dark Knight's Metal? Is it five o'clock yet? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, real quick, as an update to the a story we did last week or two weeks ago. We talked about Ruby Rose leaving the role of Kate Kane on Batwoman. Uh, CW and the producers of Batwoman have found a way to solve their problem. And it's not to replace Ruby Rose as Kate Kane. It's to replace Kate Kane with an entirely new character. Oh. So the role of Batwoman will be replaced in terms of the actress playing the character, and also the character itself. Uh, Now, Ryan Wilder, a brand new character created exclusively for the show, will don the cape and cowl and become Batwoman. Uh, She is described... Sorry? Cape and wig? Caitlin wig? Oh, cape and wig. Cape and wig? Yeah. Well, maybe she won't wear a wig, but we'll see. Um, The new character is described to be... Uh, a mid to late 20s, likable, messy, a little goofy, and untamed. Nothing like Kate Kane, the woman who wore the bat suit before her. Uh, I like how they describe her as likable and then say, nothing like Kate Kane. She is not likable. Well, uh, <laughs> if, you, if you look at the difference between like Arrow and The Flash, everybody loves Great Gustin. Nobody likes Stephen Amell. Is that true? I thought Stephen yeah. Amell was very liked. I didn't know that. Not anymore. Oh. I guess I, I guess I, I should specify Oliver Queen versus oh, Barry yeah, Allen. Yeah, 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 yeah. But just a quick hot tip: Stephen Amell got called out for being a racist this week, and it was pretty satisfying. Oh, oh shit! All right, great. Um, right, fuck him. So I was never a fan. <laughs> the character further is described as uh, Ryan spent years as a drug runner, dodging the GCPD and masking her pain with bad habits. Ryan is the most dangerous type of fighter, highly skilled and wildly undisciplined, an out lesbian, athletic, raw, passionate, fallible, and very much not your stereotypical all-American hero. That's so weird. Yeah, I don't like this. This has a move, you mean? It's so weird? Yeah, yeah. We didn't even like consider that. It was just kind of funny to me. It makes no sense. Yeah, it, it's a wild pivot to just be like, ah, fuck it. We'll just one season, new character. Yeah, like, I mean, uh, what, how are you going to write out? <laughs> I don't even understand how that works. That was my question was like, how do we, that when we talked about it, how do we write her out? I mean, like, who? It, this is not the way that I thought it'd be going. P- particularly when you think about it, how it's like, okay, this is like a mantle passing for a hero who's been around for like a year, right? <laughs> like in Gotham, it's like few so inspired by Batwoman. <laughs> well, and the, the, the story itself, like as, as I understand it, is like she shows up at the Batcave, the Batcave of her cousin Bruce Wayne is like, oh shit, he's Batman. I'm going to be Batman. Yep. And it's the mantle passing. So now it's going to be a mantle passing to pass the mantle. Like that, that doesn't make sense. It's weird. It's definitely a weird pick. Shocking. But like, I guess I get it. Cause like, it's fucking weird as hell to just like throw another actor in the role, I guess. And like, it would be jarring, but I feel like it would be less jarring than this. Yeah. Like a narratively, 
I feel like this is going to be like give you fucking whiplash. But now it's a I season think- two that's a season one. Yeah, right. Exactly. It's like the whole first season may as well have not even happened. And I also think like Kate Kane, even in comics, is a new enough character where like there's there's enough room there narratively where that doesn't matter. And like why would you need why would you need to create a new character for more space to work narratively when you have it already? And to describe her as not likable yeah, <laughs> she's a very well liked character. Batwoman is is very popular, especially uh, during the Rucka J H Williams run. Like, how? Why would you throw that away? Right, like the the bankability of the name to create a new character. It's just I don't know. It's just very odd. Like if if this show was like in the same place in its run as Arrow is right now, and they did this, I'd be like, all right. That makes sense. Yeah, There's fine. a degree of that that makes sense. Yeah, but as a reaction to what happened here, it feels – that feels like a misstep to me. That feels yeah. like something that is going to be a tougher sell for viewers than, okay, new actress is here. Let's just accept it and move on. Yeah. <sighs> uh, well, you know, I was really looking forward to season two, and I couldn't wait to watch it, but uh... – now I'm just not going to. Liar. I feel like I'll never watch another. He's a liar. No, he's a fucking again. liar. <laughs> what do you mean? He's a fucking liar. That I'm going to watch it? CW stand, bro. Yeah. <laughs> he's all about those Berlani shows. Ooh, catch him on Riverdale. <laughs> <laughs> so it is once again Eisner season, and we have the nominees. So I thought we could run through a few of these just to. You know, to highlight the ones that I thought were interesting and included uh, creators who we like and stuff like that. um, And some of the major awards that they're going to be doing. Uh, So for best continuing series, we have Bitter Root, uh, David Walker, Chuck Brown, and Sanford Green. Published by Image. Criminal by Edward Baker and Sean Phillips. Also Image. Crowded by Christopher Sabella, Rose Stein, and Ted Brandt. Also Image. Oh, fuck Big yeah. fans of theirs. Uh, Daredevil by Chip Zdarsky and Marco Cicchetto. Uh, Marvel. Wild. The Dreaming by Simon Spurrier and Bilquis Evely at, over at DC. And Immortal Hulk by Al Ewing, Joe Bennett, and Rui Jose at Marvel. Real quick, Bilquis Evely is such a fucking cool name. Oh, mm. she's so, she's such a good artist. There. Such a good artist, too. Bilquis is, that's, that's such a dope name. <laughs> Her and, um, and her inker are an incredible team. I'm forgetting the inker's name, but they, like when when they're on a book, oh, amazing. This, this is, is tight. Yeah, this is a, what a, a list. stiff competition. I've read I, the only ones I haven't read are the Dreaming and Bitter Root, and so Criminal, Crowded, Daredevil, and Immortal Hulk are all fantastic. I haven't even heard of Bitter Root. I don't think Bitter Root was good. Um, yeah, I read like the first issue or two when it came out uh, a few like last year. And, uh, and and the dreaming, I I, I was I, I like Size Barrier and his stuff, but it was a little out there. So I only picked up the first like two issues of of uh, the dreaming, but then it kind of like lost me. So I'm I'm surprised that it's here on this list. Cause, Is that a Hill House book? No, no, no. It's um Sandman. Sandman. Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, what a list, though, man. Yeah, really glad to see Crowded back on this list. Would love to see them take it. Yeah. Oh, I know they weren't able to get that last year. I would love to see them take it just as like 
me beat me, you know, our, our relationship with them. I think if I were voting, I would vote for Daredevil. I thought you might say that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we also have best single issue slash one shot coin op number eight infatuation by Peter and Maria Hoey. That's by coin op books. The freak by Matt Lisnowski from oh, Adhouse. Yeah. Minotaur by Lisa Tryman over at Shortbox. Our favorite thing is my favorite thing oh. is monsters by Emil Ferris from Fantagraphics. <laughs> Sobek by James Stucco from Shortbox. I haven't read any of those. The fuck is Shortbox? Shortbox. Yo, Shortbox fucking rules. Never They're heard of a uh, a British mm-hmm. um, subscription service that puts out uh, uh, artist driven comics. I guess is the way to put it. The, okay. the the writer and the artist are the same person. Oh, okay. And so so what you do is you you go to the Shortbox website and it, it's like a, a subscription box, like a a loot crate or something. You get a a, a box of uh, whatever indie comics come out, uh, you know, in in the amount of time. Oh, that's tight! And uh, they're fantastic. That's a really cool idea. And uh, the the freak, I backed that Kickstarter a few years uh, a few years ago, and it got the first and second issue out. But then it got like really popular, and he got picked up by Ad House to publish like the entire, I think three three issues um, as one collected trade, which came out last year. He's you're a fan of his, right? Like yeah, in yeah, general, really, like really I feel good. like I know his name because of you. He's the guy that has like the weird elongated arms and art and like really sketchy. I I, I might have shared it in the past, but really good. Do you have a print by him or something? I have the Kickstarter book and I, I SPX. I got the uh the the trade for this. Okay, cool. So I'm just cool gonna. They're all indie books. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm just gonna read off a few more couple few more um best limited series ascender by jeff lemire and dustin nguyen image ghost tree by bobby Curnow and simon gain idw little bird by darcy van polgeese and ian bertram image naomi by brian michael bendis david walker and jamal campbell dc that was a hot book this year um, really yeah 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 uh huh. it was they put it on one per customer purchase at midtown comics because people were buying it up like crazy Fuck, really? uh, a Bendis book? Oh. It's it's not even really a Bendis book. His name is on it because in order for the book to sell, uh, oh, they felt okay. like they needed a big name. But it's really a David Walker book. Um, oh, nice. Yeah. And then and he, um, he has better root on this. So Yeah, exactly. So good for David Walker. Yeah, right. Hell of a year for him. Yeah. And I don't think I got through this one. Uh, Sentient by J- Jeff no. Lemire and Gabriel Walta from TKO, Woo! which I know you guys love to liked. see Jeff Lemire nice. with two Fuck series yeah. on this bu- on this list too, yeah. right? Like, good yeah. for you, bro. <laughs> uh, I haven't read any of these either, but I was interested in Sentient and Naomi, so and Ascender, but I just I just never got around to them. Sen- yeah. Sentient is so fucking good. Yeah, yeah. we we did. Uh, Kel and I did a. TKO review. Go go check out Sentient uh, earlier in like December. I want to say. Um, there you go. Really, That's really why I recognize that book, book name. <laughs> so for best new series, Doctor Doom by Christopher Cantwell and Salvador Larocca from Marvel. Cool. Invisible Kingdom by G Willow Wilson and Christian Ward from Burger Books slash Dark Horse. Once in Future by Kieran Gillen and Dan Mora, Boom Studios. Something is Killing the Children. Nice. By James Tinney and the Fourth and Werther Deladara from Boom. Also. And Undiscovered Country by Scott Snyder, Hell Charles yeah. Soule, Giuseppe Camoncoli, and Danielle 
Orlandini from Image. Uh, all of these books are real good. Uh, Undiscovered Country and Something is Killing the Children are the two new series that I think captivated me the most, but I would say Something is Killing the Children here. Um, and then uh, I wanted to do Best Writer and Best Artist. Uh, best Writer, Bobby Curnow for Ghost Tree from IDW. M.K. Reed and Greg Means, who did uh, Penny Nichols from Top Shelf. Mariko Tamaki, Harley Quinn Breaking Glass, Laura Dean Keeps Breaking Up With Me. Uh, those are from DC and First, Second, Macmillan, respectively. And she did Archie. Uh, huh. Louis Trondheim, who did Stay from Magnetic Press, and Maggie Garrison from Self-Made Hero. G. Willow Wilson is nominated for Invisible Kingdom from Burger Book Star Course and Miss Marvel from Marvel. And Chip Zdarsky is nominated for White Trees from Image, Daredevil, Spider-Man Life Story from Marvel, Afterlift from Comixology Originals. That's a tough one. <sighs> That's one yeah. I, would, I would love to see Chip win because I feel like he's been coming up and, like, he had a strong year. He had, like, a few really great books. But, like, if Daredevil wins Best Series, then, like, ah, give it to somebody else. <laughs> I love Mariko Tamaki. Uh, she yeah. is tremendous. She did uh, Hulk when it was she. It was She Hulk in the in the title, but it was called Hulk, and that was one of my. That's one of my favorite books of all time. Um, she's real, real talented. Did did, did she do monstrous or who no, am I you're thinking of? of no. uh, Jeez, uh, Marjorie. Yeah, Marjorie Lou. But he, he's he's thinking. Oh, uh, are you thinking of the artist? Because the artist was Tanak something Tanaka. Tanaka, yeah, yeah, yeah. S- oh, Tana Cicada or or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Or, yes, I can't remember her name, but yeah. Uh, she she also has like one of the more diverse, like like she's nominated for like a big two book, an indie book I've never heard of, and then Archie. Like that's pretty sweet. That's a good spread. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. And then uh, we have best. Penciler Inker or Penciler Inker Team. So Ian Bertram for Little Bird from Image, Colleen Duran uh, for Snow Glass Apples from Dark Horse, Bill Quist Everly for The Dreaming from DC, Simon Gain Ghost Tree from IDW, uh, Steve Pug. I always screw his name up. Uh, I think it's Pew. Pew, okay. Who did Harley Quinn Breaking Glass and Rosemary, Rosemary Valero O'Connell, who did Laura Dean Keeps Breaking Up with Me from First Second Macmillan. Oh, it's funny to see like a lot of these books. Like it's the whole creative team is for like both of them. Yeah, it's like best art, best writer, and best artist because these books ruled. <laughs> Laura Dean keeps breaking up with me. Is I always want to call it Laura Dern keeps me breaking too. Up with me. I'm sure that's a common mistake. But why? <laughs> uh, I heard a lot. I heard a lot about that yeah. book. Yeah. Um, I, I really want to get my hands on it. Yeah, same. Really, really good stuff. And and uh, the the artists who works with um uh Bilkus Everly is Matt Lopez the the uh the inker the inker yeah and mm. phenomenal stuff uh, I'm surprised that she's she's on there like twice Ian Bertram is fire um and Colleen Duran I like her stuff yeah Sean what were you were you just trying to say something before I was just Laura trying Dean? to ask why do we want to say Laura Dern cuz we all want to date Laura Dern but I don't know who that is um, she was Holdo in uh, oh from Star Wars, Star Wars. Yeah. oh yeah okay or Jurassic Park or 
Twin oh, Peaks. Yeah. Cool. She was in Twin Peaks? Yeah, dog. Nice. Yeah, she kicks ass. Yeah, so uh, there are plenty of other um, categories here, like a lot of categories, way too many for us to go over right now, but those were the ones that I thought were most interesting. And uh, I'm, 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 I, I normally don't get up for the Eisners. I've said it before that I, I don't really like award ceremonies, and I think a lot of the the things that get selected are uh, they leave out a lot of the more mainstream audience. This is not really for people who just read Marvel and DC. Like you're not really going to find a lot of what you like on this list. But if you are willing to give things that are different a chance, you might find something cool for you that you've never heard of on this list. So go ahead and check it out. It's cool to see that there is like a decent amount of Marvel and DC books on the list this year because I feel like there were actually like a lot of like pretty high quality creative series coming from a lot of places, which is tight. Yeah. It's like a really good list this year. Yeah. I, I like the list. You know, so I always feel like there are omissions, but I guess that's true of any award ceremony, right? Yeah. Right. You can't, not everybody can get acknowledgement, unfortunately, but I, I always like it to just get a nod at stuff that I might not have been paying attention to otherwise. And, Get it back on your radar. You know, uh, actually, I don't know if you guys noticed, but if you scroll all the way down to the bottom of the list, you'll see uh, best podcast that's done 189 episodes. And uh, we're actually the only nominee. So it looks like we won an Eisner, guys. <laughs> wow, Woo! Eisner Award winning podcast. Yeah. Wow. Damn. Wow. Shame, shame, uh, Phil couldn't be here to celebrate, but them's the tits. I really wish I had had time to prepare my thoughts a little bit more, but, you know, just real quick. Uh, first, I just want to thank uh, my dad, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come in here and say uh, the long box deserved better than this, and this is horseshit. <laughs> yeah, they got smoked. <laughs> well... Uh, we are going to dive into our book club about Dark Knight's Metal. Get ready because uh, we're about to go on a wild, wild ride. Will this be the longest episode ever of the comic spells? Let's find out. Nah, probably not. Okay, so Dark Knight's Metal is a book we actually reviewed, I think, the last two ep- uh, issues of it. Uh, when it was still being published, so that's how far back mm. we go. Phil and I were reading this while it was being published, and we absolutely loved it. So we did do a couple of those reviews, but the rest of the guys either haven't read it at all prior to now, or at, at the very least weren't reading it at the time. Uh, so it was published between June 17th and March 2018. Uh, there are six issues in total, and of course, this is the classic creative team that was behind the run of, of Batman by Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo. So those two plus Jonathan Glapion and FCO Placencia. These are the guys who worked together consistently over the last like 10 years and are about to embark on a new adventure when they do Dark Knight's death metal. B-Rex! <laughs> <laughs> so fun fact Originally, this was actually supposed to be called Dark Crisis and was positioned as DC's next crisis title. Um, 
Scott Snyder had big ideas. You can see throughout the book that he had been seeding these events uh, for a lot of his run uh, when he talks about at some point in the book how uh, one of the medals was was imparted on Batman during the Court of Owls and so on and so forth. Um, so he's been building to this for a long time and this is the culmination or I guess you could say it's the midway point throughout the story he's been trying to tell in DC with Dark Knight's death metal kind of being the fi- the final uh, story to take place in that in that world. So uh, there's a lot to it, lots of tie-ins. But if you only read the six issues, that's kind of what where we're coming into this from. I know I've read all of it. Marco, I think, said he read all of it in preparation for this conversation. I don't know where Pete and Kale are. Did you guys read anything other than the six issues? I just read the six issues, yeah. Okay, and Kale? Yeah, yeah. I only read uh, the Comixology has the deluxe edition, so that's what I okay. read. Yeah, I grabbed that. Which is the, the six, yeah. So Marco and I potentially may have more, well, we absolutely will have more information than you guys do, but it'll be interesting to talk about it from our two different points because one the first question that i have for you guys is how confused were you you know i really wasn't um and i don't know i mean i I actually i guess i do know why i think it's just because it was written well enough um i think it was written in a way that um i think good events should be written where, like, you should be able to read those six and the tie-ins should enhance what you experience, not, like, be a necessarily, like, defi- like you need to read every single thing to get it, right? Because I felt like within the first issue, I understood what the stakes were and I understood what the the pieces on the puzzle that I didn't know, that I had never heard of, they were contextualized for me enough in a way where I never felt lost about what was going on or what the hero's goals were or like why what was happening was happening. Like I know there's stuff I don't know, but it was totally clear enough, I thought. Okay. How about you, Kale? Yeah, I don't think confusion is the word, uh, but I do think I would have liked a bit more context as I was reading it. As an example, you wanted more context for what? Uh, I don't know. I don't remember. Okay. Well, well I, 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 go ahead. I do remember having that thought, but I don't remember what about Okay. Fair enough. Uh, Marco, you read everything, but, you know, on the outset, coming into this, when you read the first issue and the second, uh, were you feeling lost at all? No. And, and I typically do feel a little confused confused um when i come into events uh just because i feel like I'm, I'm i'm so far away from the the typical goings on of the series but i think to what uh i think pete mentioned he's just a, a good enough writer that it still feels contained so i i didn't have to necessarily worry and because i typically don't always have the context i decided to read um the entirety of the of the run, including the tie-ins, because I, I just wanted to make sure that like I wouldn't be lost if, in case anything additional needed to happen. I think the one thing that maybe I didn't have context into was um, some of the Endgame stuff from Batman's run, uh, from the New 52, 
uh, so like how Joker comes back and how Batman comes back because I do remember him dying. Uh, that, that's sort of like where I stopped and where Gordon got the got the robot suit. That's like the yeah, exact right, space the, where like the rabbit. Yeah, where like where I I stopped reading. So, uh, but outside of that, I mean, it it was pretty clear cut, and um, I, I don't I don't think I was lost any any way the any time throughout. That's good. I'm glad to hear that you guys uh, were able to keep up because I felt like. In, in this reread, I felt like there was a lot of moving parts and a lot to gr- grab hold to. Uh, it, it's kind of like metal music in the sense that you almost can't even hear it at first. It's so hard to, to grasp and it's fast paced. Um, but once you kind of find a way to slow it down in your mind, you can pick up on the words that are being said and you can hear the instruments being played. And it's beautiful. Um so that's how I feel Wait, felt about this book. You mean the Justice League Voltroning to form a giant robot wasn't isn't a thing that most people would find uh, palatable? I don't <laughs> yeah. know. What do you mean? I remember when that started. I was like, oh, so it's that kind of event, huh? Yep. Okay. Cool. You mean <laughs> you mean the the type of book where Batman literally has a weapon called the Five Finger Death Punch? Yeah. <laughs> Is that what you mean? Yeah, man. And there are so many. Easter eggs hidden in here by Greg Capullo. One that I can think of off the top of my head is the baby dark side throwing up the horns. Uh, yeah, yeah, I caught that. That was so funny. So funny. But there are a the, lot of uh, others. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I, I called out uh, beforehand when we before we sat down that there was like one page I wanted to go over that was I think one of my new favorite pages in comics and it's literally that one with baby Darkseid throwing up the hordes because just the whole that whole situation is so fucking absurd it's like peaked peak comics like Wonder Woman goes you're not doing the right thing not by a long shot now give us what's in the bag and he's like I know and I'm here to use it stay back pulls out a baby and he's just <laughs> Like it's a bomb. It's the most hilarious thing. <laughs> it's yeah. It's really wild. Uh, and Just because he's been turned into a baby doesn't make him any less dangerous, <laughs> does it? No. <laughs> and I love how when he yeah. speaks, it's just the omega symbol. <laughs> It's hilarious. Oh, it's so good. It's great because this book is so intense and and insane, but it does find like moments for levity like that because it's just like at the end of the day, this is like a goofy comic story, yeah. which is great. I love it. So the first issue is very, very exposition heavy. And Scott Snyder is like the king of exposition in that he always does this. Um, and... It frustrates me tremendously when I read Scott Snyder books, just how much exposition is often required for what he's doing to make sense. And then sometimes it's not even required. He just does it anyway, which also frustrates me. Um, I guess for you guys, you felt like it, it it allowed you to understand things more. But I like less words on a page and... Snyder just breaks all the rules when it comes to uh, the amount of words that should be on a given page or panel. Wasn't Tinian guilty of that often yes. as well? Yep. Yeah. And well, he was taught to to write comics by Snyder at school. So lucky bastard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I typically like when they're a little expository. I I, I like the um, 
the the just the, the information typically because i think to to sort of get in the mindset of the world and where he's going you kind of need to sort of see where he his, his starting point is outside of like the visuals because the like the first page uh is like fifty thousand years ago all this like about a larger story whatever the tribes and then it kind of just pivots into where the justice league are and i think yeah. that in order for you not to to lose grip or interest, I think that that's um, a good place to start. In my mind, yeah, that's fair. Uh, I don't know. For me, some of some of this was also, I guess, talked about already because of the fact that the 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 primary villain in this is Barbatos or Barbatos, whatever, and. Uh, Barbados. Barbados. I literally was reading it as Barbados the whole yeah, time, same. and I'm like, I don't know if that's right, but that's where I want to be right now. Is on a beach, so. <laughs> Barbados. Okay, we'll go with that. Yeah, you got to put the bat emphasis on it because the universe revolves around Batman. Fair, obviously. Uh, so he he has appeared before. Batman has had to to you know fight him before mm-hmm. uh, from Final Crisis, and they they do reference that, and so. Because of that, I was already initiated with him and some of the stuff that kind of like led into all this. And so I guess for me, it was like, I already know this. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. But yeah. Uh, yeah. For, sorry. Well, for me, that that I very much didn't like that storyline. So I think that also may have flavored the way I felt about it a little bit about the Barbados yeah. of it all. Uh, oh, okay. This guy again, great. To, yeah, and and we'll talk about him uh, a little more uh, in a in a few moments here. Uh, what did you guys think about the fact that every single uh, credits page gave them like metal um, like aliases? Did you guys notice that? that was, oh, that I didn't cute. notice I that. Saw the, <laughs> yeah, that was cute. I saw, I saw the yeah, it's first a, one. Is it different, it's different in every issue? every issue. So in the first issue, Scott is Scott Doom Commander Snyder. Uh, Greg is, yeah. Oh, you know what? Kale and I might not have seen that because we read the TPP uh, version. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, there's that only that one credits sense. page. Oh, yeah. Yeah. okay. Yeah, so wait, what are they? So in the first issue, there's Scott Doom Commander Snyder, Greg Painbringer Capullo, Jonathan Guillotine Glapion, FCO Killer Placencia. <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, Steve the Slayer Wands, uh, Jim Jackknife Lee. <laughs> Jim Jackknife Lee. That's fucking awesome. <laughs> it goes on and on. One name, though, that I will call out is Eddie Berserker Braganza. And I was wondering yeah, if you guys noticed that, that he. Hell yeah. Well, I was wondering if you noticed I, I who he was. Yeah, Berganza. that it was Eddie Berganza. Yeah. Nah, fuck that guy. Uh, uh, my favorite in the the deluxe edition is uh, Jonathan Jolt of Lightning Glapion. Nice. I just this is just a great. <laughs> that's yeah, just fun. It's a nice touch. <laughs> it's like let's just lean into this. This is. <laughs> yep. This is a good time. Absolutely. Book. And so it really starts with kind of a fun. Justice League Adventure, uh, like they do form Voltron, as Kale said. But then you just get into wacky stuff instantly. There's a there's a mountain that appears in the middle of Gotham and, you know, all of this craziness. And you're instantly looking at all the Justice League members trying to solve this problem that Batman clearly knows about but isn't talking. Um, Batman is always the guy 
who's keeping secrets from everybody. And for me, as someone who read this book with the context of the forge and the casting, I already knew what he knew. But reading it again without that, I found myself frustrated. Did you guys feel that way at all? By like how he handles yeah. things? Yeah, very much so. Um, where there's that whole like conflict between the, the league and the, the mm-hmm. family. Um, that felt like very contrived to me because it, it very and like not that it was unbelievable because I know that like I've read enough stories where Batman is kind of like that where it's not something that I am totally um Batman wouldn't act that way right he's a control freak fine I can I can dig that but like it feels so dumb when the stakes are so high you know, that it's like, why, why are we wasting time right now? Like, just fucking tell Superman and Wonder Woman what are happening, what's happening and what you know and, like, what you're trying to do and they'll back you up. Like, I think that's the thing that makes it unbelievable for me. It's like you have the Justice League in your back pocket and you're just going to hold out on them like that when the thing is in your face. And he's like, like I need to protect you, dude. them. Like, it's like, fuck you. Like, that's not your decision to make. Like, fucking save the world. Yeah, Batman often takes that position, and it's just unbelievably annoying. Uh, And I found myself really, really frustrated by that. And then the the issue, we get to the end of the first issue, and we're introduced to Sandman, right? Like, the the dream. Yeah, dream. Dream, yeah. Yeah. Crazy. I was blown away. Uh, I don't, I I mean, I, I haven't really read Sandman, so I don't have... A relationship with the character or anything but just the fact that he was here was wild yeah it's cool it's kind of, it's kind yeah. of like the watcher you know shit's gonna go down yeah that, that's exactly how i felt about it. it was just like oh shit i was like that's not good <laughs> the um <clears throat> so this is actually the his son uh, this is Morpheus's son, Daniel. Um, Morpheus. Yeah. So, so it was it was interesting, interesting for me because they that means they're keeping in continuity with what happens in the original yeah. series. So just kind of like pushing that forward, um, which was interesting. And and then in reading this, I was like, oh yeah, I think I feel like I, I remember a lot spinning out of this, is specifically all of the the Sandman stuff as well, because I because then the dreaming comes into it. Um, some of the other like the what is it the the house of secrets whispers. or something was included in that so yeah house of whispers yeah. that's right yes yeah so that that, that was cool for me because like, oh yeah that's right this this kind of, this all sort of ties in with that hmm. interesting we still don't have that detective chimp book which um shame you know what, happened what the there? fuck but issue two really drove my frustration a little further because then you get into the Justice League chasing Batman and you know they're being led on a wild goose chase by a 13 year old driving a truck and a bunch of people who look like Batman but definitely aren't Batman and you're going to tell me that like Wonder Woman, The Flash and Green Lantern can't figure this thing out Yeah, it, it just feels yeah. like yep. it, it just feels a little ridiculous. It's like why I don't really get why that whole beat even happens. It, it feels yeah. like padding. Yeah, like it. It like I. I want to say I get, like you know, 
why we like if you look at it as like a map like i get how like we that is the step but it's just like why yeah it it, it just again it feels like batman could have just told them and especially with how things end up going uh yeah it all works out in the end of course because it's a it's a comic book story but he could have this could have easily been time wasted that they could have used to save the world instead of dooming it yeah, and like especially when you think about <clears throat> it would be one thing if we as fans could like think of an explanation for why he would do that. But I really can't. You know, like aside from the fact that it's like, well, Batman's kind of a control freak. It's like, all right, but like the world's gonna explode and you have Superman and Wonder Woman and like cyborgs technology and all this shit in your back pocket and you're just like, nah, I got it. He needs to carry the burden alone. Yeah, alone, except for my child soldiers. <laughs> like, you know, it's just stupid. It's stupid. Like, what? Like, in what universe are any of the members of the Justice League going to be presented this information and do anything that stands in the way of solving the problem? None. Apparently, it's the dark <laughs> multiverse. What am I... F- it's like, oh, Hawkgirl might disagree, and then we have a conversation that lasts five minutes. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Better get on a fucking motorcycle. Uh, speaking of Hawks, I'm not a f- particular fan of Hawkman or any of like the Hawk characters, and so their importance in this story was really odd. Because it, 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 I don't know, maybe, Kale, you have more of a love for, like, those kind of DC characters than I do, but it felt like uh, leveling up the importance of a character who's not that important. Like he's got this whole journal who he's been writing for all of eternity, and he's got this hammer, this whatever his weapon is that's um, you know made out of this metal. Mace? Yeah, the mace. The mace. Yeah. Yeah. the mace. Made out of this metal. Yeah, I think I. I think the thing is like it's. I view it similar to when um, Titans Hunt, they were, um, Abnett, I think it was Abnett and Lanning, they did Titans Hunt where uh, uh, DC Rebirth really kicked off and and that was when they uh, remembered right. Wally. <clears throat> they, they remembered that something was wrong, something was missing. And I think what this does is it recontextualizes a lot of, history because so much of well established dc lore uh pre-52 was that you know the hawks were ancient egyptians that found the metal the alien metal but actually they were aliens and there's a whole alien society and uh i yeah i i can see how you would feel that way because the Hawks just, unless you're a fan, they really just aren't major right. players. It, it it just it was felt like a lot, um, especially for like you said, not major players. But in issue two, we get one of my favorite conversations between Superman and Batman, and Batman's explaining why he's the only one who can deal with this, and he's like, "The Judas tribe, the mantling has already started. It's being done to me." And Superman's like, what are you talking about? You're not making any sense. And Batman interrupts him and says, damn it, I'm talking about metal. Heavy metal. (laughs) (laughs) That's insane. That like, that literally may as well sum up every conversation between a non-metal fan and a metal fan. 
<laughs> Black metal, speed metal, death metal. I, you're not making any sense. Damn it, I'm talking about metal. <laughs> Just imagine, like, Adam West saying that, you know? <laughs> Damn it. Gadzooks, <laughs> I'm talking about metal. Oh, <laughs> uh, But, but I, I would say, like, past this point, uh, once once things kind of start to accelerate is where I really, really started to enjoy the book. I I love yeah, the conversation that we get between all the, like, immortal people that are there where Ra- Rachel Ghoul kind of, mm-hmm. like, gives Batman the bump and he's like, he'll he'll be able to solve this, you know? I know, he's like, I, he's I like, know I'm, I'm the, the new guy. guy. <laughs> yeah. The oldest person that we like regularly see in comics, other than Vandal Savage, and he's like, "Yeah, I know I'm new here. I'm the yeah. youngest one, but I can vouch this Batman guy is pretty good." <laughs> <laughs> I love it, and you can just tell that Snyder's having so much fun uh, while writing all this because he. When Grant Morrison does big, crazy stuff in his books, and you know he's having a blast, and you know that he's, like, right on the cusp of not even making sense, but he finds a way to rein it in and do great work, Snyder's definitely tapping into his Grant Morrison-style chaos storytelling with this. Like, you have a baby, Darkseid, Who's throwing up horns? And you expect me to take this seriously, and I do. That's it's peak comic. Um, I, it's peak comic I, shit I, for sure. I think that's sort of the thing. I, I don't think he does expect you to take it seriously. It's well, like, to, whatever, to man. take the threat, like <laughs> to take the story seriously in the sense of like this has implications. This stuff matters. You know, there are dramatic the world is beats peril. that you kind of care about in the same story. Where a baby throws up horns, you know, and we can buy it. Also, th- there are some A tier superhero quips in this, like the thing where Flash is like talking about how he can think faster or he can move faster than Batman can think, and then he's just like bat fact, like a head weighs fifteen pounds when it's encased in ice. <laughs> I was just like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> like, there's so many good one liners like that, or like Deathstroke. Who like exclusively exists to have a sword and oh. and deliver jokes? It's just like, why is this happening in such that, a like? He was that was not good. No that characterization of Deathstroke it's, was not it's, good. I agree, but like the the fucking fact that it just is happening in the background, like I laughed every time, not because the jokes were good, just because I'm like, how are we getting quips off right now? Like the world is is decimated is absolutely decimated and he's like making fish jokes constantly what what the fuck is this book it's this book is so top tier ridiculous (laughs) (laughs) um and 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 if you were a fan of scott snyder and greg capullo's batman run you definitely get rewarded a lot because you do get to see the court of owls appear here there's yeah, that was cool. The references to Dionysium from uh, from Endgame, Batman Endgame. Uh, we get Batmanium, which was just like <laughs> stupid and funny all at the same time. <laughs> I uh, so I, I've spoken a lot about the uh, the Smithsonian Comic Book of Comics. Um, it was a big coffee table book that my uh, my grandfather left me. It was my introduction to the spirit and and uh, the first issue of uh, Detective Comics or whatever. And in that book, there's a um, 
uh, a story where Shazam is trying to beat Savannah and he just goes to a lab and makes Shazam metal. He just like slaps two metals together and he's like, there, I did it. I made a new metal. It's Shazam. (laughs) I was like, okay, I know what this is. Marco, can we talk about your favorite page right? real quick? Yeah, he popped up. That was cool. I like how he shows up at the end and he just has a little bow tie <laughs> on too. Yes, that's, that's right. A, yeah, at the yeah, Justice yeah. League party. I was yep. like, all right, Swamp Thing, I see you. He's You're there. dressing up. <laughs> I was that was I was like low key disappointed because I was like, oh damn, they about to get Swamp Thing involved in this, and then he's just like, no, no, get the fuck out of my swamp. Yep. Like, he, he comes out. He comes in and treks it. Yeah, what wow. are you doing in my swamp? But it's like I just feel like all the trees are in jeopardy right now. Swamp thing. Like maybe get involved. <laughs> Reprioritize. <laughs> all the trees. All the things. All the plants. All of them. <laughs> but then we we finally get the reveal of the the dark knights or whatever of the. You know, the Batman who laughs and all the rest of them. And this page is amazing. Yeah. It's really nice. I just, the the design work in general is cool. Like, I, they, <clears throat> um, the, the, the edition that Kale and I have um, has, like, a bunch of sketches in the back and everything. And it's just, like, I really love the thought that they put into, because, like, most of the, the bat the dark knights don't really have that much like screen time or anything but like you get a lot from just their look yeah you know and like i really appreciated that it seems like there was a lot of like fun that was had and like man how can we iterate on batman's costume and make all these like sweet evil twisted mirror mashup versions and it's just very creative um and like obviously the batman costume lends itself to that but like these all feel really unique and you've seen like iterations on that costume so many times so i feel like that in and of itself is a pretty cool achievement i think the the reveal was a little light for me like yes i I definitely agree that you know the design work is is really good there was a lot of thought put into it but i think overall to me it felt like when the the bad justice league came over i'm like oh they're gonna be like a similar analog to the justice league stuff that had happened the Jeff John stuff, and and I found that a little frustrating. I'm like, oh, okay, like fine. It it looks cool, it looks great, but I'm just like, all right, fine. The idea is not super novel. Um, it's just it's just an interesting take on some of the Batman stuff. Let me hit you with this though, Marco. What if they were the Justice League, but they were all Batman? I, all right, fine. You know, you got me there. That that <laughs> see that was a deciding factor. See. You gotta use your brain, Sorry, Marco. I, I forgot. What if the Joker was a dragon, though? <laughs> that was would bad. That, change that, your was opinion cool. at that, that was cool. No, it wasn't. No, it fucking that was that fucking cool. Is, it's so fucking weird. It's creepy. That's the thing. Is like I don't even care if it's cool. Like the stuff that's that's weird or like that I could even think is corny. Like they commit to it so hard that I'm like, yeah, whatever. Fuck it. I'm here. Joker's a dragon. Batman punches him in the face and rides him. Whatever. Let's do it. (laughs) This is a straight up summer blockbuster, like popcorn comic in the best way. I think, (laughs) I think that's sort of my problem with this book and books like it is like, uh, especially with Batman is like, it, it loses the, the magic of Batman. Because it's like 
you know, a book like this is like it, it, it positions Batman as like uh, an element of the universe that is specifically created because of blank, blank, blank. You know, be it Barbados, be it whatever. Whereas to me, Batman's cool because because he's Batman, and that's it. Uh, and then, like when you get shit like the Joker Dragon, it's like, why? Like, what? <laughs> what does that add? Like, why not just make it a cool dragon? Like, I I can believe that Batman punches a dragon. Why is the Joker there? <laughs> I felt very, I felt and feel very similar to you, Kale. Whenever stuff like this happens, where I, I really like Batman as just a guy, and I don't get into all the like yeah. Bat God stuff as much. Grant Morrison's run found a way to temper that. Like the original idea was Batman versus the Devil, which sounds insane, but Batman can do it because Batman has the will to push through any situation and persevere. But when you then say, okay, well, also, uh, there's Batmanium and there's Batman from 30 different, you know, universes. And, you know, he's the key to saving the universe. It's like, ah, that's where I, they lose me a little bit. You can do that with Superman because, you know, like he he has powers, right? Um, but with Batman, for me, it gets a little, a little stupid. But... Uh, as it relates to these alternate versions of Batman, the cool thing for me was that it wasn't like, let's just create these dark versions of Batman um, on purpose, right? Like Bar- Barbados didn't do that. These were organic. These were things that happened in other universes where Batman doesn't have the will to stay a hero. Well, and also the thing that like I kind of that I think helped me suspend my disbelief because in general I agree with you guys like I'm not big into events because I I like superheroes to be closer to the ground. Um, But all of this was like pulled from their nightmares. Right. So it's like the manifestation of fears and stuff like that. So that to me lets me jive with it a little bit more because it's the idea of like these are the craziest nightmares on the corners of Batman's mind and they've become they're not though. And he, I thought that was, I thought that was how, wasn't that the connection that they were? Cause like, I thought during the conversation with the, like the Batman who laughs, like they contextualized how those were all the worst versions that they see of themselves or like with the Superman clones where it was like the one who had, oh, this is the version he sees of himself where he kills you and takes the mantle. So in the tie-ins, and this is why they're so important, you see that they have Mm -hmm. lives that they lived before they became like this. And something happened to every one of them that caused them to do something that made them what they are. And the Batman who laughs actually goes and specifically recruits them from the universes that they're in that they collectively destroy. And then he brings them here. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. I think I think to the context though of metal, the yeah. story, that's sort of where the the book tries to, to draw draw it from is like these are the nightmarish versions of them, but within the tie-ins to Sean's point, there's like a lot of depth to each of these characters, which I I did appreciate because I think there's a moment where I, I was like, wait a minute, but if they're all versions of Batman, why would they 
go on and commit these things and do the and and become these versions but then at some point it gets explained that they are the versions that that went that step too far and i I think that's what i appreciate about some of that context and um overall i think the stories were were their backstories were cool uh most of them were kind of like all right fine yeah it kind of works like uh, my favorite was probably the war and um the cyborg one uh the flash probably too but it was it, it it's interesting to to see them as these versions with that context more so than the way they're presented just here yeah. i think i i think that metal does a disservice to a very cool concept and group of characters by just making them opponents for their analog in this world um and and again like when i when i've praised metal I'm praising it with the full context of everything that I read. And it's harder to separate the tie-ins and my knowledge from those with just what happens in the actual event itself. And that's where events get dicey. But I still think that they were they, they were kind of cool. But it's not a surprise why the Batman who laughs is the one that people connected to the most. Because he's the one who gets the most screen time in this book. He's really the only one that has, like, yeah. dialogue, really. You know? Like, the rest of them are just kind of like, they. from my point of view, they just feel like his goons. Right. You know? And how crazy was it that he had those Robins chained up? That was disgusting. I love those. <laughs> Dude, yeah, crap, that crap, visual crap. is, like, gnarly. Ugh. That's a, it's a uh, you know, if you're going to go for a, a dark-ass Batman, that makes a lot of <laughs> That's sense. That's a way to do it. Um, Like, you know what? That's fucking dark. So, so just to clarify this in my mind then the were these other universes born from the dark metaverse and their nightmares like making them come to life because i thought it was that i my, my interpretation of it based on what i read in these six issues was that their nightmares are manifested into worlds in the dark metaverse and because the dragon that used to destroy all the non-viable universes became Barbados. Now they all just thrive in the dark multiverse, and then now they're all being unleashed. Is that what was happening, or am I missing a con- context That's there? That's essentially true, but they are real, right? So, like, they, they yeah, are... Right. They have their own worlds and their own stories that are as real as the ones that we engage with. They right. just went bad. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. In the in the individual books, they're the stories that should never be because technically they were to have been destroyed. And, okay. and because of that, they come here to want to uh, save the people that, that they couldn't save on their worlds because ultimately their worlds were going to be destroyed anyway. But their worlds are born of our world. Their world, their worlds are born. Like every universe, pretty much has a Batman, a Superman, a Wonder Woman. Like right. all, most of them do, and these are the ones that shouldn't have continued to exist. Like Marco said, like if the Forge and the Forge Master were doing what they were supposed to do, they would have been annihilated before. They had the opportunity to come and wreak havoc in the way that they're wreaking havoc. Okay, cool. I'm I'm good then. That yeah, I'm I'm following it. So 
Did you no. hear that? My, I said, okay, cool. So Google popped on and it heard me say, okay, I'm, I get it now. And it said, I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> That's how I feel too. So good on you, Google. <laughs> but then, then we get into the middle part where it's kind of the superheroes trying to stave off Annihilation. And you get a lot of really crazy stuff here. This is where we see that Joker dragon, which is just unbelievably insane. Um, and you see how the world has changed around what Bar- Barbados and the Batman Who Laughs and everybody else around what they're doing. Uh, Superman is the like the primary character, I would say, like in issue three and things like that. His journey... Um, Trying to maintain hope in what he in what is otherwise a hopeless scenario, and we get a cool sequence where they go to the um, uh, what's the bar of eternity or something like that, right? Yeah, I think that's what it was called in the the magical pocket dimension. Yeah, yeah, and I always like this the ablo- oh, the right. oblivion the bar oblivion bar from, uh, night 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 masters oblivion bar. I figured you would know you all go. about it, Marco. Yeah, it, it pops up in, in Swamp Yeah. Um, and we get Detective Chimp, right? Isn't that him? Yeah, sort of. Uh, well, I mean, it is him, yes, yeah. but we sort of get him. He, He's just tying one on. <laughs> 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 it's, it's, go ahead. I loved, I, I just, I love that panel, like, when the party's about to get broken up, and he's like, ah, oh, shit, last call. All right, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> it's just awesome. Um, yeah, and and then the, the characters break up into these wacky pairings, Deathstroke and Aquaman, which, you know, we already kind of talked about was a little bit insane yeah. and not necessarily in a good way. Um, just so goofy. <laughs> yeah, it is. And, and again, I- go ahead. Sorry, I was gonna ask: Is there more context to the Plastic Man egg? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it 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 felt to me like uh, like that shape uh, for for that character specifically is from the Dark Knight Strikes Again. Uh. You know, they uh, Bruce and Frank Miller call Plastic Man like the most powerful being in the world, or whatever, and he's contained in an egg. I think it's in Arkham, um, and uh, I kind of felt like that's what he was going for here. Um, but yeah, other than that, I thought I thought the the idea that uh, what what was it? He his body got he fell into the vat where the the metals were being mixed or whatever well i i think that they were saying that when he got his powers it was because he fell in that vat and the the metals were in there right right? so it's like through his whole molecular structure in that that chemical bath that he had become plastic man right right that was cool that was a cool recontextualizing of of his powers i like that a lot I kind of liked that too because it felt like um, I, I I like when stories set up their MacGuffins like that where it's like there's going to be the thing that comes through at some point and you're like, I know at some point this egg is going to explode and Plastic Man is going to fucking wreck shop. And 
you're in like you're like all right cool like he's been along for the ride like it doesn't feel like a thing that comes out of nowhere it feels like the chips are down like this is the card we've been waiting to play let's yeah. play it and it felt like earned you know how about this fantastic moment when the uh dark multiverse batman are in the bar and it's burning and <laughs> batman who laughs asks dawnbreaker to play a song on the jukebox b66 Batman 66, I didn't get Adam it. West. Uh, yep. Hmm. That's oh, why? Reach. I, I mean, like, <laughs> it's uh, why not just call it Batman 66? Because that's not like, how Jukebox works. It just, like, I... I right, but, like, I, it's a bit of I reach. disagree. Um, but, yeah, so things just get really, really bad from here. And I think... One thing that Scott does do well is kind of setting the the stakes in the sense that everything is bad. There's nothing positive happening right now. Um, Batman has like a <laughs> a cheap Infinity Gauntlet. Like, <laughs> I just love that so much. Like, that's way worse than anything that you could buy at like a hobby shop or something. Um, but yeah, things just get really, really bad and the heroes are fighting their best, but they just can't really make any progress. One of the things though that bothers me about that is the fact that the way, how easy it is for the Batman who laughs and crew to take things over. They don't do anything after that. Yeah, yeah, like, like the the end the the end goal there is just like, oh, okay, cool. Like you now have this thing in you now have this world under your control and your demon your demons are going to be here and stuff, but like cool. The 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 grand scale of it sort of gets diminished for me. Um that was something I found a little frustrating, especially like to your point when when they they just come, they're here, they fuck shit up and then that's kind of it. Because wasn't the thing that they were there with the intention of lowering the Earth, but because Superman got disconnected, it didn't lower. So they're just like, all right, I guess we're just going to park out here and fuck shit up and see what happens. Right? Well, like, well, I guess that's kind of what happens. Well, they were trying to lower it so that way they could get easier access to the rest of the people on whoever else they had within the Dark Multiverse to get into this universe to thrive. Mm. Like their versions of the of their loved ones, right, right, and and that's all well and good, but it just feels like the heroes are so outmatched that when they yeah. ultimately win, it's like damn the the villains in the story didn't actually do a whole lot. Like all their all their badness yeah, like is it, front loaded. Yeah, like it, it feels like how easy it is for them to take over it then like they just kind of sit on it and they lose because they don't really do anything more so than because our heroes really like best them you know like and that's not a great feeling um because i feel like that that works sometimes right like that's star wars like the rebel alliance shouldn't be able to blow up the death star but they figure it out and they're the good guys so they're scrappy and they win, right? Like that works, but 
it doesn't really feel like it's because of that. You know, it feels like it's just kind of like they get an edge because the bad guys are so confident that they've won. Yeah. And that's not as satisfying. Yeah, exactly. Um, one of the one of the sequences that a lot of people paid attention to was all the stuff about the World Forge and the dragon and all that. And that stuff is interesting because there Snyder is really making a meta commentary on storytelling in comics. And there's two elements to it. So on the one hand, he's saying that the dark multiverse uh, is like the ideas that creators have that are that are like piggybacking off of the fact that comic stories started to get darker in the late 80s, early 90s, and how we just keep hammering out the same stuff, but whatever mechanism would have stopped that, stopped working. Uh, and just let the same darkness keep playing over and over and over again. Um, but then it's also a commentary on like the dragon smashing out creativity is a commentary on editors not letting creators create you know um and and kind of smashing out their ideas for what a story should be and i thought that was really interesting that snyder found a way to sort of put some interesting commentary within this craziness yeah, I thought that was uh, – thinking of it through that context too, there's like that line near the end where it's saying that like um, like the ultimate sin is like ever trying to come out of the dark at all, you know? Um, and I think like that – that feels like a kind of interesting meta commentary on the fact that like I feel like for so long like coming, like coming out of the 80s and the Bronze Age, like the 90s were also like a pretty cynical – decade and i feel like that cynicism carried throughout and i feel like um i feel like more recent media has kind of been increasingly defined by a rejection of that cynicism you see a lot more um stories that are centered around like ideals of like hope and you know like looking at like how popular the marvel movies are and like people one of the primary criticisms that like core comics fans levy is that they're like too like sunny you know they're too jokey they're too this or that um i think that's pretty interesting especially because a lot of the imagery of this book um like particularly of um barba uh bar- barbados barbados that barbados that's what we're calling them now um feels like something that would have earnestly been done in the 80s that style that look that very gothic edgy belt wearing Batman, you know, is like, Oh yeah, I could totally see that as like a villain, you know, from that point presented with no level of commentary or irony. Right. Um, and you wouldn't have jokes like you have in this book. So like, it's, it's interesting how I feel like that commentary is there. And it's also reflected in the way that some of the humor subverts the narrative, but also like through the art and, yeah, it's it's cool. It's very cool. Yeah, I, I when I learned that it really uh, changed <clears throat> changed the way that I read the story, and um, I thought it was pretty cool. 
That's interesting because I took it a little more literally specifically because of Sandman's inclusion in that because he has a library of all the books that have ever been dreamed or all that the books that have never been written generally and I sort of just took it as like for for what it was in that some some of the the worlds and stories that are told are inherently like the the worlds there that they exist in are inherently broken and so they I I I just read it as like straight as it was because typically the the books that Sandman refers to are all the stories that have never have never seen publication versus actually being ideas. Well, where that shifts is where the dragon stops shutting down the dark stories, where where the the, the twisted nightmares that should never have existed, where he stops shutting those down is where it's like. Oh, that's that's all these books we've gotten since, you know, the Dark Knight, uh, the, since the Dark Knight or whatever, that are so dark and gloomy that are just sort of repeating the same story over and over again. This darkness, um, that's that's where the metaphor comes in, and I feel like it's good that it can be viewed on on you know different levels. Um, something that I thought uh, I wanted to bring this up independent of this point but i actually think it kind of ties back to it in a funny way um i really liked uh this kind of nod to starro like the original justice league villain and like how just overtly silly he is (laughs) and that like his role in the story is really like nothing other than that like that first scene where he's just like now now it is I, Starro! <laughs> like, it's just, it's it's good shit. Like, and he's literally like, ha, 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 I'm back, losers. <laughs> and just like, I don't know. Like, I, I kind of like that this book, like, is so, like, engaging with the, like, edgy Bronze Age stuff. But, like, it injects some of that weird golden Silver Age, like, goofy silliness um, in wherever it can. And it, it really just feels like like a love letter to events and all the different kinds of like eras that we've gone through with these characters and how like they're all like equally valid I think on some level but I definitely I don't know like I I dig that that commentary on that like comics don't need to just be dark like they can be dark and it's great when they are but like silly stuff's cool too yeah totally um and and then I kind of feel like we get into this weird area where there's just a lot of like action and, and things happening, but nothing that feels really important until issue six. And I, I guess I, I think it's because there's not this is not a battle that can really be won physically. Barbados isn't you know, they're not gonna just Superman's not just gonna punch him. And that's and that's it, right? Like they needed more, and so the more comes through this new the the element X that the heroes get, and I thought they looked pretty damn cool, especially Wonder Woman. Yeah, Wonder Woman in armor. It's just like that. Just makes sense. I also I liked um, there was that one page where she and Hawkgirl are having that conversation and. Uh, Hawkgirl's kind of like talking about the significance of Wonder Woman 
and like her as a you know because i think we talk a lot about like superman as like a symbol of hope and all those other things and i think when we did our wonder woman special i think maybe fucking years ago at this point who knows um one of the things that i thought was cool because i wasn't really that familiar with the character before that is that like I feel like she is about hope, but in a different way than Superman. Like, and I thought the contextualization of her being the one who uh, makes the battle cry, right? That it's like she's the one who brings um, everyone together. And like, you know, even the Batman who laughs says like, oh, like that's how you die in most of our, in most of the worlds I've been to, right? It's like you die uh, like fighting alone and, and needlessly or whatever and that like the victory comes through the opposite of that of what we know Wonder Woman to be as someone who perseveres and like lifts other people up and that like inspires someone who's been knocked down to stand back up and like you know and like keep fighting hope through action I think is yeah when you contrast it to Superman who's who's a symbol she is sort of she's more you know the person like you say who who is on the ground fighting for it she's the person with the megaphone you know <laughs> yeah that was something that i i wanted to bring up was that wonder woman really was my favorite character in this book because she it felt like with her they were saying something interesting whereas a lot of the the interesting commentary on batman takes place in tie-ins and the stuff that's compelling with Superman doesn't really exist, I don't feel, um, for this particular series. But Wonder Woman, she she is the one on the ground. She is the one who allows the ground troops, while Batman and Superman are absent, to turn the tide. And I just love that read of her. And she's the same person who, you know, uh, speaks at in, in uh, Identity Crisis. She's the one who speaks at the funeral. You know, in Last Night on Earth, she's the one who leads the resistance. She's always that character. In Death Metal, she's also one of the few heroes left that's still fighting. Um, so I just love Wonder Woman as that character. And I think Snyder gets it right here. She, she feels like a general, yep. like leading l- leading the people. You could you can trust that like w- with her, whether it's you're going to win or not. You're gonna have you're gonna have the good fight, mm-hmm. right? And that like the good fight is worth having, even if you lose. You know, is like that gave me chills. That page is like that's just inspiring. It's an inspiring message. You know, I think especially uh, with everything going on right now, right? It's like you need people like Wonder Woman. Totally. Yo, Lady Blackhawk, Kendra, hated that character. The her, her entire thing is, we can't do it. it. No, we can't. It's not possible. Uh, uh. So, all right, like, like after the thirtieth time she said that, I was like, all right, you could, you could do something else, please. She exists strictly for Wonder Woman to be, you know, hopeful. Like she's Wonder Woman's counterpart yeah. in this book. Right. And it's funny because you made that comment about Superman. That's like Superman's thing in this book is like he exists to be Batman's friend yeah. and to be like someone who cares about Batman and to be like, don't give up. You're a good guy. Like, that's like all he does. Pretty much. <laughs> like Wonder Woman is pretty much the most significant actor um, in the real world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Back to the craziness, Batman like punches the nose off the Joker dragon. Yeah, that was fucking cool. Pa! Although he's, he just, and he's just like, I got it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like so fucking silly. <laughs> it's gloriously crazy. And then he's just riding on it. And you you just know that, that things are turning around and the heroes are about to win. But with this book, even though it was so transparent and not necessarily that compelling, it was still cool because, I don't know, this book just has an energy about it that's fun. It's like, I want to see just how crazy things are about to get. And you see Bar- Bar- Barbados get blasted by... Um, by the the Carter Hall dragon. And then we get into maybe my favorite part of the book where Batman and the Batman who laughs face off in the Batcave. Uh yeah. That was tight. And I I I know like we are always like we're not the biggest Joker fans, but I did love that reveal of just like when the when he shoots him and he's like I wasn't talking to you and then it's just the bang through his chest I was like all right that's fucking cool that's cool I'm in all right what are you what are you guys talking about when uh when Batman and the Batman who laughs are fighting in the Batcave and then the Joker shows up and they fight him together um you sure yeah no recollection of that you're trolling no I mean are, are you, you really sure, don't remember are you sure that happened. I mean, yeah. What what is this bit? <laughs> I don't know where this joke's going. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like it was something we should uh, never speak of again. Oh, why? You didn't like it? Oh, okay. No, it was in the. That's that was, was where we jumped the shark I, for you. It was in that the book. It was, it was in the book. It was in the book. He's like, to be clear, we never oh. speak of this, and they fight together. Oh, it's like the first rule about Fight Club. Got it. Okay. <laughs> uh, this is also just a great page like the little side of him just like he's like leaned up against the rest of the panels with the smoking gun i was like that's a great fucking shot fantastic um and i i just again like the dialogue feels very like it's like ham fisty but i didn't hate it because like i love how he's just like oh it's like a good old-fashioned three-way fight and he's like not exactly (laughs) <laughs> I'm going for the leg. I call this face. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, right. Like, let's fucking go, boys. <laughs> and it's such a such a fun callback too, because the Joker sliced his own face off, and now he's slicing off the face of the Joker fuse with Batman. Like, and then cuts his fucking fingers <laughs> off. Like that shit was awesome. <laughs> it was just, it was just awesome. <laughs> I love how there's a scene. There's a panel of of Batman. I guess he's breaking the Batman who laughs arm and holding it there and the Joker's just spraying poison. Like <laughs> no regard for how that might affect Batman. He's just spraying poison out there. I love it. It's like we got him. We got him. <laughs> <laughs> but this scene is like the only moment where you get to really kind of dig in on a on an extended fight. Everything else is just, you know, oh, they're fighting over here and Wonder Woman's doing this over there. This is the only time where you get to slow things down and focus on, you know, a, a few people really fighting. And I thought uh, it was very well directed. Greg Capullo did an awesome job showing us this action. And it wasn't long, 
but I, I really liked it. I mean, it's six uninterrupted pages. Yeah. And for this series, that feels yeah. long. Like, that fight feels significant, I think, because of that, which is actually, I think, good. Like, it works um, because everything else has been so, like, it feels like a heist movie. Or, like, cut to these guys, cut to these guys. What are they doing? Yeah. It's like, it's nice. It lets the issue breathe a little bit. What did you guys think about Barbados as a villain? Um, he felt like very much the way that I think a lot of ethereal big bads do. Like, he reminded me of, like, the big bad at the end of, like, a season of, uh, like, like Digimon or something. Or, like, you know, like, it's not like, and I'm, I'm making inelegant comparisons here, but, like, sticking with anime, I guess. <clears throat> like, you think about, like, a Dragon Ball Z villain and how, like, a whole arc around them, they're, like, that's the guy and that's who we're working against and they're as much a player as the main character. He feels like not that. Like, he's, like, this cosmic entity and, like, no one really deals with him directly at all. It's, like, you beat him by beating his forces and, like, clicking a button in a back door somewhere, you know? So, like, it's cool, I guess, because he feels larger than life, but, like, I feel like he mostly just feels like an album cover character or something. Like, he doesn't really Damn. do anything, you know? He felt to me like the abstract concepts that the that fight uh, over the Infinity Gauntlet in, uh, was it the, yeah. I guess the Infinity Gauntlet, whatever the fuck that book was, the Infinity War. I agree with that. So he, nothing. And but nothing. what's what's weird about that is that he's there, you know. Whereas a lot of times with those abstract concepts, you see them, but they're not there. It's like they're not really there. Whereas it feels like he's there. He just doesn't do anything. He doesn't act in any way, and it's very strange. Yeah, it's like he just like he's like shooting lightning bolts in the background or whatever, and it's like <laughs> All right, whatever. Like sure. You seem tough, I guess. <laughs> uh, how about you, Marco? Yeah, he's just a larger presence that I didn't think had much to direct impact. Um, and and it was kind of anticlimactic that they didn't directly like fight him because they they got um, Hawkman to do it, and which makes sense because they're like they're like they're sized up and so. But otherwise, it was he was okay as a villain. He was just there most of the time. He felt like the big MacGuffin so that the Batman who laughs can come in and take the spotlight. Which is exactly what happens. Like, um, we're pretty, all that's left to really talk about is the epilogue, but the epilogue is only really there to tease things that are coming that we in real time have already seen. Like, they tease the Flash War, um, and that, that happened already. And uh, a few other things. I mean, all of this has happened already. And we get to see a dance party for the Justice League. Swamp Thing's wearing a sick bow tie. <laughs> Hell yeah, he's a classy boy. <laughs> <laughs> like, Swamp Thing, we really wanted to thank you for all your help in this fight. Uh, so we thought we'd invite you to the party. Yeah. Oh, wait, all you did was attack us? Yeah, Thanks. that was sweet. Remember when you just <laughs> fucking you all stepped on his swamp, bro. But. Yo. Um, that's legit, but after he we talked through it, he should have got with the crew and went and fucking fucked shit up. Swamp Thing's a bad motherfucker. What's he doing? But 
the Batman who laughs to what Kale was saying does emerge out of this conflict as one of the top two or three villains in DC in terms of his machinations moving forward. Dark Knight's metal or death metal is really him. It's it's like Apex Lex. It's, oh God, what's her name? Put, I can't remember her name, but she's like this cosmic figure who's now Perpetua or Perpetua. Pandora? I think it's Perpetua. Pandora's from uh, an earlier time. But yeah, it's it, oh, okay. it, pretty sure it's Perpetua. Um, and he, again, the Batman who laughs, has become a central figure. And they've told a lot of really good stories with him. But to what Kale was saying, this just feels like a vehicle to introduce him to the comics so that they can do bigger things with him going forward. It's funny too because like I feel like the in that end of the book tease section it kind of like it's it's like you mean this was all just the beginning? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah, I guess. <laughs> well, how did you guys feel uh about those pages w- with the comparison of how Doomsday Clock ended? Very similarly Much better. like that big that big uh sum up uh I don't know, section of the book. That to me felt like an ad that they wrote in comic speak. This felt like a genuine, like, oh, these are people who went through a thing and now they're talking about what happens next. Like, it, it still is obviously teasing things, but, like, it feels less out of the pocket. Mm, I don't know. I, I, I was frustrated by it because I'm like, okay, what, like, you're laying down a lot, but not giving any additional context. You should have forcing me to want to have interest without telling me what it is. Like I had to, you have to go like literally by, by name alone with, what was it? The dark stars, the dark pantheon, uh, Atlantis risen. Like you're, you're getting me on these hooks that I have to really care about the individual characters for versus it of being attributed from the story outside of it being aftermath which I think was a little frustrating for me as, as, as somebody who, cause like I, when you scroll through the, the end of it, the next, it, the next thing is like just league, no issue, no justice. Number one is where it continues. And it's like, but why do I care if you just hinted these random things to me that I, like, what is, what, what, what was the, what was the point? The point was to sell more comics down the road. <laughs> That's really all there is to it. So you can here's a look at what's coming. We'll section it off for you, so you can decide which one you want. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, but I mean, like, it, though, right? Like, but I mean, in terms of the point, story, if you don't care about any of those characters, then like you just won't keep following those things. And well, yeah, but then that then this isn't for you. You know, I, I think events yeah. often try to set up the next stage of the universe and. I think there are elegant ways to do it and there are inelegant ways. I think what Doomsday Clock did was very sloppy and it felt it, it it didn't even feel like an ad. It just felt random and just not not just felt poorly done, quite frankly. And I don't I don't want to disparage Jeff Johns, but it just didn't feel like it was done well. This is 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 Batman saying like these are the things that you know, we know are coming based on blah, blah, blah. And I I don't know that it's any more elegant. It really depends on you and whether or not you are a reader of DC Comics on a regular basis. Because for me, 
when I read this, I was like, oh man, what the hell's going to come next? But disconnected from that because I already know what happened and because these things are not actually coming next, it's like here's you know four more pages that I have to read and these things have nothing to do with anything. So it's, it's kind of hard to evaluate these in the aftermath. How also did you guys feel about the transition from Greg Capullo to Michael Jan Michael Jan in, in this uh in these last pages. I didn't even catch it. No, no come on. <laughs> Get the God, fuck out of here. It was so jarring for me. Are you kidding? In the, in the, in the epilogue? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it's very different, but like it being epilogue, I'm like, alright. I loved it. Yeah, it's I didn't it, it's a different artist. It, now that you yeah, me. now that you call it out, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, you're totally right. Like the jaws are in a square, all that stuff. But like I, I when I was reading, I was just like, okay, I, I was trying to figure out what was going on, unless so paying attention about the art that I, I don't think I noticed it. So you don't even look at the art when you read. <sighs> That's comics? genuinely I'm surprising shocked. to me that you didn't even notice. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, I feel like you're you're like always the one to point out like minute art things. The fact you're like, oh yeah, two different people, huh? <laughs> Wouldn't have guessed. Yeah, I, I, again. <laughs> Yeah, again, I was just like trying to figure out, I'm like, okay, what does this all have to do with what just happened? And I, I didn't even pay attention to it. The answer is not much. It's that we, we, we saved the day, and later, Batman threw a cocktail party. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and to what we were just discussing, I actually did like the fact that they had this little party. Um, just because you, nev- you never see the Justice League chill. Uh, you know, the X-Men notoriously have many issues over the years where they're just playing baseball or at the beach or whatever. You never, ever see the Justice League cut loose. And this was kind of that. And it was fun and it was, you know, it was cute and that's all. Um, but again, the dialogue is absolutely and the and the panels are absolutely there just to tease you for what's coming. So if you don't care what's coming, then these won't land. But if you do, then, you know, they probably do. I, I honestly thought that it was going to be what happened with Superman, where it's like a normal life, and then all of a sudden it's going to transition to like, oh no, we never escaped. I thought that <laughs> that's what, that was coming. Um, that fucked up. And then now I'm like, oh, <laughs> Batman just explodes again. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, okay. Oh, okay. I see what you're doing here, Scott Snyder. <laughs> um, what was that voice? Oh, Scott Snyder. Oh, Scott Snyder. I'm on the same page, Scott Snyder. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god let's do the joke award next mr snyder please no, no skeppy mr snyder joke award. <laughs> it's terrible i uh marco what if i try to sell it to you this way that epilogue is uh the anime filler episode of of dark knights Metal. no no because they'd be at the beach and there'd be boobies no <laughs> not this awful dress that's oh, <laughs> I, I thought the dress was fine, but I always think it's funny when they show Wonder Woman in formal wear and it's just like a red and blue dress. And I'm just like, what, does she not yeah. own other colors? Fashion consultant? Do they think we the... won't know who Wonder Woman is if she's not in red and blue? To be fair, there were some, there were a few people in this that I'm like, uh, who are you again? I, to be fair, in several books, when they when they show Batman and Superman standing next to next to each other, not in costumes, I'm always like, which white dude with black hair is which? Yeah, like, you just have to look for the curl. <laughs> yeah, right. Which one has the little curly cue? But to, to to sum up, to wrap up, ultimately, how did you guys feel about this 
event and does it make you want to know what comes next i when i was a teenager starting reading comics i think i would have eaten this up i would have loved every goddamn panel of it um now i don't think i'm as keen but i'm also not sure um but i do think i want to know what comes next uh since we're just doing the wrap-up kale could you also just say you know if you would recommend it just to get it all out Ooh, i don't know if i would uh i think in general i would avoid giving anyone an event uh if it was a first time if they're experienced and they're just like oh fuck yeah give me a comic that's uh give me something that's metal (laughs) give me something metal (laughs) okay go ahead mark um yeah this kind of doesn't make me interested in in what's upcoming like it 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 felt like it ended and it started to bleed into the regular books again so now i feel like okay now i have to have context for what's going on in those books for me to truly understand what it leads up to because i think the only thing that i got left off with was well we know joker and the batman who laughs were fighting who knows if they survived or not and that's the only thing that's tying me to the next event so i I mean overall i think it was i think it was good it was fun um i i have you know no complaints outside of some of the some of the the like the characters where they just kind of fit to serve a purpose opposite the the other character um and i mean it'd probably give it like a 7.58 it's fun would i recommend it um yeah i don't know um it was good but it i feel like there are other books that i'd recommend before this as for events i don't know many so probably but if if i had more knowledge i feel like maybe this might not be in that upper echelon uh i really enjoyed this book i definitely would agree with marco's assessment in terms of i think i'd put it in like a high sevens low eights in terms of like overall quality um because like i think at the end of the day it's an event and to your point sean like if you're not down for events if you're not down for it to spin back into the overall you know, continuity of the DC universe and what's going on, like, then, yeah, this isn't going to jive with you. Um, but I think that there are, like, I can think of readers I know who I would recommend it to who are initiated comics people where if, if I was just like, do you want, like, a wacky, like, way over-the-top, goofy-ass, like, popcorn summer blockbuster event of a comic book event? I think this is great for that. Like, it... It's not, uh, it didn't like move me. It didn't, it's not a book I think I'll think about a ton beyond this, but I think whenever someone brings up metal, I'll be like, man, when fucking Plastic Man turned into a giant shark to puss and fucked everybody up, that was pretty cool though, huh? Like, it's that kind of book. And I don't really think it needs to be more than that. Like, that's fine, you know? Like, not every book needs to be <clears throat> House and Powers and like have some insane, you know, political commentary or like leave a mark on your soul like sometimes it's okay to just read a comic and think it was fun um and i that was how i felt about this in terms of my interest in what comes next um 
I think I am interested in what comes next, not necessarily for a narrative thing, but for the same reason that I got juiced when we saw the preview and B-Rex was in it. And I'm like, that looks fucking ridiculous. Yeah, I'll read that. Like, sure. Like, I'll, I'm down for another event like this that's five or six issues, and it's just, want to watch the Justice League do some wacky shit and fight a bunch of Iron Maiden covers? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it the second time around. Maybe not as much as the first time around, just because... Um, I just didn't, but I think it's still good. I think it's, it's enjoyable. I think that it doesn't try to reach higher than it. It doesn't try to punch above its weight. It very much stays in its lane and its lane is a fun zany lane that, you know, I think can appeal to a lot of people. Uh, you don't, it doesn't matter what you think about anything <laughs> at all, really. You just get this book, and if you like cool art, and you like Batman, and you like Superman, and you like Wonder Woman, well, here you go. Uh, I was very interested in what came next after this. We got, uh, No Justice, which I really didn't like. We got Scott Snyder's Justice League, which I did like. And then several events after this that were completely disconnected which was frustrating dark knight's death metal is the is the official sequel to this so i'm looking forward to that but i worry about people who think that you can just read that after this because there's so much that has happened since then that i hope that snyder does a good job in condensing all of that in a way that will allow people to jump on board within the first issue and not feel lost. Yeah, I hope so. Cause I would like to do that. I'm not super interested in reading everything else that has to come with it. Um, so if that's the case, I don't know if I'll get as much out of that one, but uh, I didn't feel that lost here. So, I mean, if he can give me an, a super expo- uh, expository issue, number one with like a million captions again and get me back up to speed, like I'm cool. down. So, Gonna have to get a fucking previously on (laughs) (laughs) previously on Scott Snyder's Dark Knight. I feel like that's what I was saying the other day. Um, the other day you mean last week? For me, it was the other day. No, I wasn't listening. I don't exist between episodes of the show, so it literally was the other day. God, you're hanging right. out in a pocket, ma- magical think, pocket dimension, I... getting fucking schlossed with uh, Detective Chimp, huh? <laughs> I don't fucking, I don't think about any one of you in in between recordings. Oh, that's nice. My messenger says differently, but okay. So that's gonna do it for this episode of the Comics Pals and a book club within the episode. How's that? Uh, obviously that means that, uh, the episode ran a little longer than we love, but that's okay. Cause you guys love us. And why would you want us to go away? Uh, let us know what you thought about our conversation about dark Knight's metal. If you've read it, uh, give us a shout and talk to us about your feelings about that book. And of course your thoughts about what DC has done leaving diamond major, major news this week. You can reach us on social media at the Comics Pals. You can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. Leave us a comment on YouTube, and while you're there, drop us a like, share the video with your friends, and subscribe to our channel. Hit the notification bell so you can be made aware of when we drop new content. And join our Discord server, where you will be able to have a direct line with us. 
We can have more in-depth conversations and uh, meet people who also enjoy the show and talk about why Kale's your least favorite pal. Uh, <laughs> with that, let's get into the plugs. Pete. Thank you guys for joining us here in another episode of the Comics Pals. If you want to connect with me, I'm at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, if you want to get some more content from me, head over to Loot Pots. I host a Nintendo podcast over there. Um, yeah. What's up? Thank you. Uh, stay safe. Stay well. Um, be good to each other. Kale. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Toto in Toe. That's T-O-T-O-I-N-T-O-W. If you want to come hit me up about anything, don't. I'm manic. Uh, you can find my work though at kaleward.com that's c-a-l-e-w-a-r-d.com where the comics I have done so far are up for free so congrats awesome Marco you can find me at Mr. Marco Nomoto on Instagram and Twitter Um, I'm almost done with my Gundam binge Iron-Blooded Orphans is what I am watching and because I do need levity levity in my life uh, Letterkenny that shit's funny so Come talk to me about either one of those two things. It's cool. Awesome. Show over. See you next week. Pete, what'd you get, you stupid son of a it's bitch? Art print. What is it? Uh, oh. Yeah, do it. Do it right now. Live on the show. All right, okay. All right. All right. You can follow Phil at Cyborg Bebop, and he'll tell you why the news sucks. We'll cut around this. I certainly will. No, we won't. Huzzah! Oh, oh, oh my God, that's from um oh the uh, diaper. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. On oh, Instagram. Yep. Yeah, uh, they did like uh, a bunch of new prints recently, and they were like kind of like, "Hey, COVID's kicking my ass." I was like, "I love your art. I'm gonna buy one." Sick. Very nice. Cool, man. It's a good one. I don't like it. Okay, no. well, that's very rude. Paper wave. Yeah, dude. Uh, at least I don't have to look at it. Matches my desk. As for me, I don't have anything cool to show you guys at all, but uh, I'm on Twitter and Instagram only, at Sean Soapbox. Hit me up to talk about anything that's going on that you're enjoying right now. And with that, we're the Comics Pile signing off. Take care, guys. See you next week. Bye.